did a, a family Zoom call, which was... Oh, you guys did a family Zoom call. Um, yeah, it was a hoot. Oh, great. Who all yeah. was on there? It was so it was Phoebe's and Rachel's family, basically. So yeah. that's that's so Phoebe's my wife, Rachel's Larry's wife, and their sisters. And uh, so Larry and I are brothers in law. We were reporting in <laughs> to, uh, to the whole family. So yeah, we had like sure. ten, ten, a ten person little uh, family reunion. That's great. Everyone's yeah. doing well. Yeah, everybody seems to be doing well. Awesome. Yeah, they're all hunkered down. Also, we're, we're hunkered down. Also, their uh, little cousin's one year birthday. So oh, that's right. happy birthday. so yeah so that and i say i probably spend um an hour every day sweating and stressing feeling like (laughs) i'm coming down with the coronavirus (laughs) an hour every day i'm sitting like okay this is it i feel it i feel it tingle in my throat okay oh uh oh i can't breathe (sighs) and then what i do is usually go pour a beer and i'm like okay okay i'm cool i'm cool Well, I have I have aller- I have bad allergies, so I've been walking when I walk the dog, especially just my eyes are watering at times and dry, and I'm sneezing, and people look at oh, me boy. like I'm coming to murder them. Oh boy! Oh boy! And I think it I think it would oh, make it boy. worse if I like chased him. Was like, no, 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 it's I have allergies. Like, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna <laughs> go near you. So it's okay. I'm safe. But I just feel just, like I you just gotta hug it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been taking my allergy meds like crazy just because I just I'm already. Like I said, I already think I'm I'm dying like once a day. So, yeah. <laughs> if I was sneezing, I'd be I'd be a mess. Well, that sounds awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've been uh, yeah trying to support some local breweries and uh, get out and uh, go for a little run or a walk. Um, these knees are not so sure they like the runs, but uh-huh. I'm <laughs> doing some walks at least. Dude, a few years um, back, I was like, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna I got running shoes and I was gonna run, and then I ran on mm-hmm. the sidewalk, I guess, which was a huge <clears> mistake. <throat> Uh, but I like jog, jogged a few miles, and after like three days or so, my knees were not doing great. And then I yeah, remember mentioning uh, that, I mentioned that to a doctor, and they're like, "Yeah, you shouldn't be running on the sidewalk like that, especially just out of nowhere." Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of my that's my mo right now, and it's <laughs> we'll see how it goes. You get it. I mean, yeah, we're I, still I, getting a lot of snow, so. I got some P ninety X. I just do some some nice P ninety cardio at home. Oh, that's nice. nice. Kicking some ass. Well, yeah, I do not. I do not run. I mean, I'd like to play basketball. It'd be great to go. Yeah. I mean, not now, obviously. You know, I need to do something where I'm tricked into running. <laughs> if hey, I'm, Larry, there's a beer over there. Go. Yeah, exa- exactly. Because if I'm running to run, I'll be like, so boring. Can we just stop? Can we just stop? Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of boring, I think. But there are obviously a lot of people that like to do it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know why podcasts seem longer when I'm running. Always. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> But speaking of podcasts, hey, it's time to taste hey. some liquid bread. Uh, I'm mm. Maddie Smith, and with me remotely in their separate quarantines are in Los Angeles, my buddy Larry Bates. Larry. And coming to you from Bozeman, Montana, uh, Larry's brother-in-law, the brew guru, Rich Higgins. Larry. <laughs> I know. I was just, of course, I said my own, my own name. Larry. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Hey, wait. Actually, so before we get going on, I, I, want, I want to do one thing. Did you introduce yourself? I think I did. I started, so yeah, I said I'm Maddie Smith. Oh, Larry. Okay. There's my intro. There you go. I'm Maddie Smith. <laughs> before we get into it, I want, I want to do one thing. I want to get justice for Big Mac because I think last time, last episode, Rich, we did, we did some food pairings. Mm-hmm. And in there, I had a Big Mac, and I wanted a food pairing for a Big Mac. And you gave mm-hmm. a great pairing that I think was leaning towards a, a bigger, richer burger. I think it was the Rodenbach. Alexander, was that what you paired with the burger? 
Uh, no, it was Never the uh, Route des Apices. That's right? right. That's it. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Yes. Yeah. But I want to know, just for someone, quick fire answer. If I'm getting just a Big Mac, I got home, I'm tired. I got a Big Mac on the way home from work, or I guess now I just ran out and I wanted takeout, and that was the only thing around. What one beer do I put with a Big Mac? Moose Drill Brown Ale from Big Sky Brewing Company in Missoula, uh, Montana. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, Big Brown Ales. Brown Ales are awesome with uh, with all sorts of burgers. And um, yeah, th- that one in particular is a little bit roastier than other Brown Ales. It's not not quite a porter, but it's still in the Brown Ale category. Which is going to make it go really nicely with the the special sauce, which is mostly like mayonnaise Thank and sugar, you. right? Yes. So oh, yeah. that is <laughs> what I wanted awesome. to know with the special sauce. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I can wow. I can I can sleep tonight. I'll hook you up. I know I'm going to need a shipment. All right. Thank you for circling back on that, Maddie. I Thank just you. I just it felt like a like a loose end that we needed to address. So our topic this week is food pairing. Rich has laid out an awesome lesson for you guys, and I'll hand it over to him in a minute. And he'll give you some food pairing tips you can use in daily life, which is dope. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. But first, uh, just to talk about what's going on, obviously not a lot of new different stuff is going on. We are all under lockdown. One thing that was interesting to me was that I guess in the week ending March 21st, which essentially was the first week when all the lockdowns were happening, total beer, cider, and flavored malt beverage dollar sales increased 42% compared to last year. So people were stocking up, yeah. Drinking. Yeah, and I think especially, so I'm curious to see if it's more of a spur of the moment sort of hoarding, or if, you know, people are just going to want to drink at home a bunch as they ride this out. There were a lot of large packs sold. Uh, 24 packs, I guess, were up 90% compared to last year, and 30 pack pack sales were up 87% compared to last year. That's impressive. That is impressive. Yeah, all the the stats, all the... um... You know, the breweries and the distributors and all that, all the folks that collect these stats are all kind of keeping their fingers crossed that sales yeah. are going to continue strongly. But uh, no one's no one's sure if they're going to if people are going to keep repeat yeah. buying. Well you, well, you know, we've already did that. We uh, we totally went hoarded, not hoarded. We went and got grabbed a bunch of groceries <laughs> before all this stuff. Don't went say down. hoarded. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We, we, I didn't say toilet paper. I'd already had toilet paper. But we went and grabbed a bunch of groceries. And like the next day I was like, ah, we got to hit the liquor store. We gotta go get some beer. We gotta go get some liquor, so we're good to go. And, uh, and we just replenished. Oh, we have so much place. alcohol. We did well because we. I did a couple. I did well one big brewery run where I went to the Highland Park Brewery here in L.A. and I, you know, just ordered a ton because I didn't know when I'd be back or whatever. And so I ordered a bunch, wanted to support them. And then Megan, of course, ordered from like local wine shops, like twelve bottles or something of wine. We have so much alcohol in our building right now. Yeah. Well, you got to get through the Zoom exactly. call somehow, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's ha- happy or a fuel. Uh, and also kind of on the a similar sort of note, a little it's a little different, I don't know. So many breweries now are pivoting to to go sales. Uh, suppliers, I guess, are worried that we might soon be running out of crowlers. So, you know, even the plus of lots of t- local to go sales might soon hit a wall. What'd you uh, say, Maddie? A crowler? We're running out of crowlers, apparently. What's, what's a crowler? A crowler <laughs> is is a thirty two ounce can that you can buy at a brewery where they'll you know, they'll usually have a selection of beers that you can choose to fill up that can. They'll seal it for you right there and you'll take it home. And it's a nice alternative to a growler because it'll keep say. it fresh longer if you, as long as you don't open it. Well, did I mess up? Fresh longer. Okay. A little bit. You did, you did great in general. Yeah, it's a 32 ounce can. They're just lighter. You know, it's like the, the whole cans versus bottles debate. They're just lighter uh, to carry and they're just a little bit easier to deal with than glass. Um, glass growlers are typically two liter or 64 ounces. Some of them are smaller. Some of them are 32 ounces. So for most people, a crowler means 32 ounces, which is one quart. And most people think a growler is two quarts. So 
crowlers are a little bit smaller, so they're easier to handle. But also, um, when you go to a bar to get a crowler filled, the bartender might be getting a little bit of oxygen in the in the can. Most places now are good about flushing the can with CO2 prior to filling ah, it. That's right. Um, but even so, you might get a little bit of oxygen in okay. there. Um, and oxygen is not real good for beer. So it's fine to drink, you know, a day or two after you after you get it. But keep it cold and drink it pretty quickly. You don't want to, okay. you know, don't, don't sit on it for a week. So that's kind well, of a so myth. So it doesn't last oh, wow, as long as people say, yeah. think. So I always assumed that it would it would last longer in the can than than if you got a growler. But you're saying no. No. no wow. Because that's, Cause that's you, you can do people, that. yeah. That's widely yeah, you said. Can do that, you can do that pre-flush with a with a glass growler as well. You know, just the fact is, when you whether it's a growler or a growler, once you stop filling up with beer at the tap, hopefully it's foaming over. It's called ca- capping on foam. You want to mm-hmm. put the cap on top of foam rather than on top of air in there. Um, but ah. even so, even if there's foam coming out, it's possible you might get a little bit of air in there. Um, there's just a lot of kind of loosey goosey, oh. little, little bit of operator error that gets involved. So even though it gets all sealed up and it looks like a good good to go can of beer, um, <clears throat> you know it's it's not worth running that risk. Just just go ahead and drink it. You know, ooh boo hoo, <laughs> you have to drink your crowler and uh, then then head back for another one. Have crawlers been around for that long? Because I mean, I just I just really it's been like five years maybe. Okay, that that makes sense. Wow, I didn't know that, Rich. Thank you for that. That's like if you Google right now. You know, how long do growlers and crowlers stay fresh? Usually you'll widely see that crowlers will last longer, but that's good yeah. to know. Debunked, you know, myth under busted. Optimal, under optimal conditions, both a growler and a crowler can be pre-flushed with CO2, filled all the way up to the brim, and, you know, they're foaming up, and then you put the put the cap on right away, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. However, it it's, impo- it's hard to do it perfectly. Okay. And I was going to say, the, to the one thing I was going to note was that uh, David Racino, the CEO of American Canning, a canning a can supplier uh says that in the past week he's seen requests for crowlers increase a hundred times over the norm which i think shows if anything just the giant shift that's happening in the brewery industry right now uh the yeah, changes that all these people are making yeah <laughs> yeah well i hope it goes well and i hope they uh find more crowlers I can shed a little bit of light on this. Yeah. Um, so there's actually only one producer of uh, crowler oh, right. material in the United States. Ball? And they run, yeah, Ball, exactly. They, they run uh, crowler runs quarterly. So we're using, you know, it's first quarter of 2020. We're using the, the cans that were predicted or the crowlers that were predicted for use back in fourth quarter of 2019. So obviously they under predicted because <laughs> they didn't expect yeah. a global pandemic. And so they're uh, they're doing a, another run right now. It's going to be much larger, but still, it's going to take a little bit of time to, to yeah. get through the uh, the supply chain. Support your local brewery, everybody. Don't be dissuaded right. by the story we just told you. Uh, <laughs> and also, just real quickly, we mentioned uh, last time BrewDog, the BrewDog Brewery, was producing hand sanitizer. And like Rich said last time, a lot of other breweries were trying to do the same thing. And for instance, uh, Rogue Ales and Spirits in Newport, Oregon is doing it. And the Food and Drug Administration actually changed their guidelines on March 18th to give distilleries permission to start making hand sanitizer for distribution as long as they're abiding by the formula outlined by the World Health Organization. So that's a nice thing that I think a lot of places are going to be able to do to help out. I personally have not seen any hand sanitizer at a store since this all started. I agree. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I don't we, think I have either. Because uh, I was checking the other day, for sure, in CVS. Yeah, it's been, it's been kind of wiped out. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. It's time to go to Rogue and get a crowler of hand, hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> Just crack that, uh, crack that right puppy up. <laughs> yeah. to like other places, and this is what BrewDog was doing. Currently, they're, it's only available to first responders, but I guess they're working to make it available nationwide for consumers. So, you know, depending on how long this goes and what they're able to do, it'll be interesting to see if we start seeing breweries 
hand sanitizers in any local stores. Yeah. I mean, we need to, we need to get more of this somehow. And if there's a way to sort of brand it around a, yeah. a brewery or a distillery, then, then that's yeah. fun. That's yeah, I, don't, I don't, I don't mind a brewer getting a little bit of, you know, advertising out of it either. Totally. Uh, They're helping out. And here's one uh, cool, positive story. Uh, I guess that was a positive one too. Uh, you might remember half other half brewing in New York from the story of a crazed white claw lover pulling a gun on a crowd waiting in line to buy beer. Uh, here's a nicer story about that brewery. Uh, similar to what Sierra Nevada did during the Northern California wildfires a couple years back, Other Half has started a global collaboration with other breweries to sell Altogether India Pale Ale. And the announcement from Other Half, Altogether Beer invites any brewer from any corner of the planet to participate by providing the tools needed to make the beer at the lowest possible cost, including an open source recipe, artwork, and name. In exchange, the collective asks that a portion of the proceeds go to supporting hospitality professionals in each brewery's own community. The rest should be donated to keeping nice. the brewery in business to weather this storm. So it's kind of an awesome package they've put together that any brewery can take and emulate, and you'll probably start seeing altogether beer all over the place. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wonderful. I, I, I'd spend some money on that beer. Yeah. Count me in. And I guess what the way they're doing it is, since it's open source, they're allowing breweries to kind of do their own local spin on it, too. Mm-hmm. Which should be All in it together. Except with a slight local twist. Yes. <laughs> uh, we should we should mention that uh, we're not disparaging white cloud drinkers and saying that they all <laughs> har- harass people outside of but uh, one did. Guns. The man this had was, a white claw. This was an isolated incident, and I think the uh, the I'm character... giving you facts. <laughs> I think the white claw was incidental. Perhaps, but... <laughs> so we can move on to the next segment. Uh, Rich, you you wanna you wanna explain the next segment? Yeah. Yeah. So. There's something called the Rose and Thorn, which is a. It sounds like an old English pub or something. It probably is actually, uh, but it's it's a it's a like a reflective. It's like a conversation starter, um, and it's sort of a reflective thing where you you come up with your your thorn of the day and your rose of the day. So your, your mm. low light and your highlight. And the idea is that you can't have a rose without a thorn. Uh, there's a song that says something similar. So um, with that, I, I think it's in these kind of tricky times. We can do a beer version that's called the sweetness and the bitterness. Um, it's not really good to have a beer that only has one. So we all like beer. And so uh, let's talk about uh, the, both the bitterness and the sweetness. Let's do it. So, um, yeah, personal beer low light and personal beer highlight of the past week or so. So, yeah, what, what, do, you guys, what do you guys think? Well, who's going to go first? Uh, I I can start it off. Or, uh, <laughs> I, I, Wait, I, before, I before you start, Rich, I just want to say I you had, you had pitched the segment. It was your idea. And when you pitched it and when I asked you to explain what it was, I didn't realize you had such a well thought out, well put together description of it. I was I was slow playing you, Maddie. I'm, that was that's beautiful. You sh- you hustled me a little bit. Well, you're I under, think you now have you're underestimated <laughs> Maddie. No, you're he underestimating him. He has a new sweetness for the week. <laughs> he brought like cultural history into his explanation of the podcast well, segment. I'm actually copying it from uh, from another podcast, uh, NPR's Life Kit uh, podcast. Um, this was introduced in uh, in a recent episode on that. It's gotcha. a way for you know families and and groups to uh, to kind of rehash their day and the highlights and lowlights of the day. Oh, sort of commiserate nice. and celebrate. It's a good take. It's a good. It's a good spin. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. So, Rich, do you want to go first with your personal high and lowlights? Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to. Um, I think we probably have a lot of common or bitternesses in common here because we're all sort of upset by um, you know heading outside and just knowing that uh, you know there are no bars or breweries open that um, that we can go hang out in and go support and you know build community and all that. So, 
you know, I was just walking down uh, the, you know, main street in Bozeman where I live um, the other day, not expecting to do any shopping or anything like that, but I was just getting out for a walk and uh, it was just really, it like just hit me, you know, like all these places that are closed, you know, it's just really, it's really depressing. <laughs> but then, uh, you know, I'm also trying to support uh, local breweries by getting, by getting crowlers and growlers. Last brewery I went to, I did say, Hey, uh, I'm happy to get a growler instead of a crowler. If, uh, if you're low on crowlers and they said that they were, they were actually fine on crowlers. They have plenty in stock. Um, so I got a growl, uh, crowler, but, um, anyway, it's fun to, to, you know, support breweries in, in any way I can. And then I'm actually doing a little bit of an Instagram series on my, on my Instagram account. Um, I'm at multi rich by the way. Uh, so go to at multi rich and I've got sort of a crowler of the day, uh, situation where I do a little video. It's like a minute, minute and a half long video where I drop some facts about crowlers or about the beer that I'm drinking and just, uh, just, I in general look like a, a goon pouring, <laughs> pouring beers and, uh, and drinking them and, and chatting about them. So yeah, it's sort, sort of fun. Was that your both your sweetness and your bitterness? No, come on, Larry. So the, the bitterness was everything <laughs> being closed, and the sweetness was that I'm enjoying these crawlers. I know, and... I know. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. <laughs> well, consider me messed with. <laughs> I, I guess All it's right. my turn. Is it my turn? Go for it. Go ahead. Yeah. So I would say the bitterness was, I want to say, it was maybe Tuesday or Wednesday last week. I was thirsty. I went to my fridge. I grabbed a chocavesa. And I realized it was the last one. <laughs> and I had no more beer in the house. That was the bitterness. But I was thankful that I had the Chocavesa from the episode we did before. No. I'd say the sweetness was three days ago when, thanks to Drizzly, um, a six-pack of Stone IPA and the Saison DuPont for today showed up. So I replenished. Beautiful. So the, awesome. the bitterness was running out of beer. And the sweetness was beer showing up to my door. So it was perfect. Fantastic. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I guess I'd say I don't have a ton of bitterness, but I guess the one thing I'm thinking of is I keep having those moments where I just kind of forget what's going on. And I'm like, oh, that would be nice to do. Maybe I'll go there tonight. Mm -hmm. The walk away basically from me is this German beer bar called Versed House. And they have, that's where I learned about Jahrhundert beer, which is one of my favorite nice. beers. Awesome. And they just have just an incredible menu and it's a German bartender who, you know, cares so much and he, he will make you wait till he gets the right glass ready for the specific beer. Uh, and they just do an awesome job and have a ton of things to try. And it's, it sucks not having that experience of just being able to kind of walk mm. to a bar and try sit there. And I love sitting at the bar and talk to the bartender who appreciates the beer and talk about what you got or try something new and just, nice. you know, being restricted from having that. That sucks. Uh, but it sounds sort of transformative or tra transportative, I should say, too. When you're there, it sort of feels yeah. as if you're in a bar in Germany trying some local beers. Definitely, there. definitely. He taught me about Woodruff, uh, putting Woodruff. Oh, in, yeah. Um, and, and <laughs> you know, it's 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 a sometimes food, but it's pretty good. Uh, throwing my beer. Um, and then I guess nice. my sweetness, though, would be, you know, last night I, I'm, I told you guys I'm up and down with like really sweet flavored beers. But I had a, I had it, I forgot when I bought it a few weeks ago, I bought a bottle of uh, Viva La Beaver from Belching Beaver in the San Diego area, nice. which is uh, yeah. basically a Mexican hot chocolate, Mexican, or sorry, Mexican chocolate and peanut butter flavored beer. Ooh. And I wasn't sure how it'd go because I hadn't had that. I had their peanut butter beer plenty of times before and other beers from them. But this was the mm -hmm. first time with this one and it was a delightful dessert. And I had a very nice, sweet dessert that I really liked. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's fun. So the old Viva La Beaver. 
<laughs> is my sweetness. Well, that's great. Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing. I got to check that beer out. I guess. Yeah, and I guess if people want to, let us know your sweetness and bitterness. Uh, you know, totally. Drop us a DM in the on the Twitter at Liquid Bread Pod or email us at liquidbreadpodcast at gmail dot com. But let's move on to the uh, next uh, segment. Uh, Rich, I've heard you have a few questions for Larry and Matt. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. You guys. Uh, Buckle up, get ready. Flip the script uh, a bit. Hold on, let me, let me get my seatbelt on. Hold on. <laughs> so, uh, right. where? All right, this is this is going to be a sort of a, a daydream sort of thing here, because um, or a pipe dream, because uh, we're obviously in quarantine. But I want to think about stuff other than quarantine. So, where in the world uh, would you guys like to go right now, each of you individually? Like, what's if, what's your peak beer travel experience that you are jonesing for? And uh, you know, what 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 makes you pumped about? about that that travel experience i guess i'll go first i will say literally today i was just looking online and someone had posted a gorgeous beautiful picture of a place rich has talked to me about many times before which is bomberg germany oh it's amazing and it looks incredible but it made me think about i have never been to you know southern germany or or munich i've never been oktoberfest all that stuff but i and i want to go to all those places but i think if i was narrowing down one of those places i would love to go to cologne because i love a kolsch and I would Very love to. Cool. I would love to sit in. And I, I'm all about the local like eating experience. And I would just love to sit in a German. I don't know. Do they call it a cafe there? What do they call it? Just a restaurant where you're sitting, getting a drink, and a, and uh, a well, a restaurant or a yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, there are a lot of different names. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're okay. probably talking about a Hausbrauerei or a Kneipe. Probably a Hausbrauerei. Let's let's do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just sitting there, and they do the little thing where you order it, and they mark your uh, coaster with each drink that you get. They count it. Yep, and just sitting there and having that experience is something that I would really love to do sometime soon. That sounds great, Manny. Very That's cool. Um, I was going through expense receipts uh, from last year recently because it's it's tax tax season right now, and um, one of my expense receipts is a coaster from a uh, from a pub oh, in wow. Cologne that just has oh man pencil scratches on it, <laughs> and then my own translations of what those mean. That's awesome. So, <laughs> it's the only receipt you get when you go uh, <laughs> go out there. <laughs> So uh, yeah, Larry, what what are you what are you thinking? What's what are you I want to I want to I want a Pilsner Urquell. I want to be in at, in the Czech Republic at at that brewery. And awesome. I think Rich, you kind of have to be there. I think you have to be there. <laughs> so uh, that, I think that's 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 it. I just want to I just want to taste that like fresh off the, you know, just f- fresh at the spot, man. That that's, that's awesome. That sounds fantastic to me. That is very cool. Yeah, on the on the tours, if you take the tour there, you can uh, actually taste stuff directly out of uh, some of the wooden wooden oh, wow. uh, tons or wooden vats that they have. So it's, uh, it's pretty spectacular. That's amazing. Good good call, Larry. I'm, yeah. I'm Jonesing too. I'll see you yeah. out there. <laughs> and I'll say, um, uh, Rich, cool. I, Rich, I will say, uh, you know, I, you're welcome to come along to Cologne with me to the House Browery. <laughs> You're, you're, Man, there is an there's an open invitation. You're you're yeah, he perfectly didn't, he didn't welcome. Invite, he didn't invite if you're him. busy, you don't need to come. But if you want, if you if you're done at the Czech Republic with Larry, Larry, you're invited to head out, take a little <laughs> hop on a hop on a flight and come on over to Cologne. Can I can I bring my uh, my bookkeeper with me? Oh, absolutely. Please do. I might need a <laughs> well, excellent. All right, cool guys. Uh, let's wait. Move wait. On. What about you? What about you, Rich? Where would you go? Oh, it's it, it's a long list, guys. I don't know. <laughs> oh, just pick one. <laughs> well, Bomberg and Cologne and and Pilsen all sound pretty. Is there anywhere you haven't been? You know, all right. So, so I have been to Italy a number of times. Um, and the last time I was there, well, second last time I was there, I, I lived in this town called Trento, up in the northern part of Italy, for three months, and it was just, you know, a highlight of my life. It was so much fun. And Italy's not really known for its beer culture, but it does have a they call it Bire Artigianale, which is their craft beer scene. 
um, that is starting to boom. And there are a couple of really good breweries out there. And there's a brewery that's up, uh, like up in the mountains. It's called uh, Mazo Alto, which means like high refuge. And Mazo is like a little local farmhouse refuge where they serve beer and serve, you know, speck and bacon and stuff like that. Um, so I'd love to go there. I've had the beer down in the town of Trento and it's really delicious beer. They, they've got a good uh, Pilsner. Um, I think I remember a pale ale as well. And I just would love to go to that actual site sounds and beautiful. sit on that, that like farmhouse deck looking out over the valley and the mountains, the Alps. Oh, it's gorgeous. That sounds just incredible. Drinking that amazing beer. So, wow. Yeah, that's definitely high on my list. Good so, someday. Are, are we invited? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. We had to, I had to prompt you to, to, to extend that invitation. Uh, Larry, I, I need to move on to our next question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, you're on a desert island, uh, and there's only one drinking hole on your desert island. Okay. Is it a dive bar or is it an upscale beer restaurant? You can go there as many times as you want. It's your desert island, but you, there's only one on that, on that island. What's I? I feel like I need a point of clarification. What's the yeah. the beer list of the dive bar? You know, what's the? Yeah. What do I expect here? I, it, it's it's up to you, Larry oh. or Maddie. Okay. Hmm. I think I want the dive bar. I think I want. Yeah, I think I want the dive bar. I think especially if I'm on a deserted island, maybe I'm overthinking this, but I'm like I'm getting dirty. I'm probably living outside on the ground, and and the contrast of the upscale spot. Hmm. We def- will be tough, whereas the the dive bar will feel more, more uh, That's natural. Hilarious. You see, yeah, see, I'm I'm just the opposite, I think, and for the same reason. You want to respite? No, because I'm dirty as hell. I want to be dirty as fuck, walking in that upscale <laughs> joint, ordering a beer every day, every day, awesome. just smelling like fucking salt from the water. Going, yo, man, hit me with that. Stop playing. Stop playing. I'm the only one here, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's that's right. I think Maddie, I, I'm imagining that there's no one else on this island except maybe the bartender, Maddie. And so mm. I don't think they're going to judge you if you're. Oh, no, it's not about being judged. It's more about the feel business. of it. I'll feel like dirty mm-hmm. and I don't want to go sit in a clean spot. I want to go sit in this dive bar and just yeah. relax and let it all hang out. You know, you're like you're like pig pen from from exactly. I, am, I, I will so quickly become pig pen. Oh, if, if I'm on the well, desert island, first, ten minutes Matt, on an island, my upscale place will become your dive bar. Oh, nice! Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Um, that's hilarious, guys. I like that. Uh, I, of course, can't decide for myself which I would prefer. But um, <laughs> right now, I'm feeling like an upscale beer restaurant, just because I want to like, I want the full, you know, the whole nine yards. I want like to go to a restaurant, and have like really good food, really good service, yeah. really good beer, and uh, and of course, I would tip. With I would tip. I would tip very well. <laughs> what, sea, what seashells, crabs? <laughs> I would eat the scallops and then tip the scallop shells. <laughs> very classy. That's beautiful. All right, Larry. Pop quiz: Is beer an acid, a base, or neutral? Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. Pop quiz. Uh, quiz it's an acid. Again. Are you sure? It's acidic. It is acidic. You totally sure. Yeah, one hundred percent sure. You nailed it. You nailed it. Rich, Done. you mess Perfect. with people. You always make people doubt their answers. You're I'm very, you're very good. At your he didn't make me doubt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, God, awesome. You're gonna, cool. you're gonna make me change my answer eight times. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna use uh, the pop quiz here uh, to get into our uh, food and beer pairing segment. So, oh, beautiful, um, Maddie. Yeah. Pop quiz. Oh boy. Does does beer have protein? Does beer have protein? Yes. Yeah. You sure? Absolutely. What makes you so sure? Because I know it has proteins in it. There's protein in it. There is. Why, why do you have so much attitude? 
Because <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting you and your attempts to force doubt into my mind. You, you are absolutely correct. Thank Beer you. does have protein. Well done. Well done. There we go. Um, we cool. nailed yeah, it. So, Larry and I so, nailed it. Yeah, he is, oh, yeah, yeah. You're not messing around. Keeps so going. So far, so good. So, um, yeah, so beer's acidity is something we're going to be talking about um, when we talk about food and beer pairing. And uh, the, the protein aspect of beer um, doesn't really affect the flavor too much, but it affects the mouthfeel of the beer. And that is definitely a big part of, of food pairing. Mouthfeel is a huge part of it. So, yeah, before we get into uh, the lesson, you guys have any, uh, any, any last wishes or last words before I start <laughs> talking way too much about beer and food? No, 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 that's I what think, I've been waiting for. Yeah, I'm ready for school. Let's do it. All right, cool. Well, very good. All right, well, beer and food pairing. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to cover a little bit of basic pairing theory uh, first, and then we're going to get into some, you know, discussing some classic pairings of beer and food and talking about what works in those, um, you know, using some of the theory that we've talked about. And then uh, I also want to hit some other ways of looking at pairing. You know, pairing is sort of this, like, amorphous concept you know a lot of people aren't real comfortable with it or so they think but the fact is we all have uh, things that we like to eat things we like to drink um, there's a lot of pairing that goes on sort of behind the scenes in your brain that you don't even notice so we're going to talk about some of that stuff um, and then we're going to talk about uh, kind of reasons to pair beer and uh, talk about some of the ways that wine pairs with food and some of the ways that wine has trouble with certain foods too and of course <laughs> with my my attitude to this is that uh yeah, there's no uh beer that uh, can't work with food cool there's a food for every beer and a beer for every food i strongly strongly uh, live by that um so yeah uh with that said let's dive into pairing theory so uh and maddie and larry obviously mm-hmm. if you guys have any questions during this please uh, interject if you have anything funny to say or something to interrupt uh, my, my <laughs> diatribe that would be that would be wise as well so um all right so uh in in pairing beer and food there's really only one rule and then there are a few different sort of opportunities that you can uh that you can strive for first rule um, don't talk thing. about pairing theory <laughs> there you go <laughs> Like there you go. <laughs> you asked. I'm going to steal that, Maddie. I'm going to, I'm going to use that in my future classes. Okay. Um, all right. So, yeah, even if you were to talk about pairing theory, the main thing, the main rule that you need to worry about is uh, intensity matching. All right. Mm-hmm. That sounds that sounds sort of fight clubby too, like match intensities. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a battle. Um, but no, the, the idea here is that when you bring food and beer together to enjoy them together, if you can't taste the food because the beer is so intense – then there's no pairing possibility there. You know, the beer is just kind of running over the food. Likewise, if the food is so intense, you know, if you're having like a, uh, you know, a big chocolate cake uh, that's doused with a, you know, a red eye uh, coffee chocolate sauce or something, you're not going to be able to taste a delicate Pilsner or a whipped beer or a, a Kolsch beer or something like that. Um, it's just not going to happen. The, the food's going to railroad that beer. So, you know, you need to make sure that both the beer and the food are speaking at the same volume. Uh, and once they're at the same volume, you know, kind of how loud is the food? How loud is the beer? If there's similar loudness, then they're going to be able to talk to each other and they're going to be able to interact and you're going to notice all those interactions. So that's the only rule. Okay. It's, it's pretty easy. Just make sure that your food and your beer are similar intensity and you're good to go. Cool. Um, so that said, I do want to say, you know, a lot of people are, they, they say, ah, screw pairing, you know, who cares about a perfect pairing? I just want to have the beer I want to drink and have the food I want to eat and call it a day. And if that makes you happy, that's awesome. Go for it. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. Um, but know that there are opportunities out there where certain flavors in the beer, certain textures in the beer or certain uh, tastes in the beer are going to 
marry or interact or complement or contrast, do all sorts of interesting things, this alchemy to uh, some of you know flavors and textures in the food. Yeah, and I'll and jump so my, if I can jump in on that, yeah. I will say to mm-hmm. those wackadoos who want to ignore Rich's advice, you jokers <laughs> don't know what you're thinking. Because I will say, <laughs> you know, at your own peril. Yeah, I will say I've I have been with this man in restaurants, <laughs> and I've had him recommend food pairings, and I and it has made the beer better. It's made me appreciate the beer better. It's gone yes. well with the food. It and he didn't always recommend beers that I liked or thought were good, but I was like, okay, let's do it, and it's worth considering. And I think like, you know, we all have our favorite beers, but I really do think that sometimes it to consider the pairing adds a ton of value yeah. to your meal. Especially with someone who knows what they're doing. It, I mean, it, yeah. Well, we're all going to know what we're doing after this lesson. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Show, show. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for the encouragement guys. Appreciate it. Um, the, yeah. The idea that I, the goal should be one plus one equals three. That's the goal with any good pairing. The idea is that one plus one, if it equals two, if the beer is fine and the food is fine and they come together and they don't add extra value or they don't change each other, then there's, you know, it's, it's a fine pairing, but it's not as good as it could be. So when you have the beer, uh, you know, when you have a beer that changes your experience with the food and makes it better and you have a food that changes your experience with the beer to make it better, then that's when you have one plus one equaling three. There's this alchemy that goes on, this magic, this evolution that goes on to heighten the experience of both. And that's when, I mean, I've just been like speechless at certain restaurants or bars or whatever, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing these pairings, cause I'll, I'll try it together. And it's like, you know, I just can't talk. I'm just overwhelmed with how delicious it is. And it's a new way of looking at the beer and the food that you, you couldn't even have, have imagined before, before having them together. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's fantastic. So back to the theory here. So one plus one equals three is a goal. Match intensities is the only rule. Just make sure the beer and the food are the same volume. And then, um, and then you're kind of, opportunities let me phrase them as that are typically the three c's right so complement contrast and cut all right there are other ways to kind of understand interactions but those are those are really kind of easy ways to 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 grasp and um fun fun to play with so i'll I'll go into them in a a sec here but um any any questions so far or any No, no it's just that last part of that sounded really violent you know, well, it sort of is. Concept. There's some physicality that goes on in, in some of these pairings, um, and we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So complement, and that's C O M P L E M E N T. So you're adding two things together that that complement each other. It's not like saying like, "Hey, what's up? You you, you look good today." But no, hey, that's Rich. On that note, <laughs> yes, you're doing a great job so far. No. <laughs> you get out of here, thanks. <laughs> But wait, wait, compliment, contrast, and cut. That's, right. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Man. Cut! <laughs> Judo chop. Sorry, I just had to do that. I had to do that. Uh, thank you, Larry. You um, all right. So also keep in mind that there are there's physicality. I mentioned it a second ago. There's physicality that occurs within pairing. And then there's the aromatic stuff. And I liken that to sort of like there's the physiochemical stuff, the physical chemical stuff, and the sort of the artsy fartsy stuff, right? So the aromatic stuff is the artistic stuff, right? And then the taste stuff and mouthfeel, the sort of physical stuff, is kind of boring. It's it's things like bitterness, sweetness, sourness, saltiness, and umami. Okay, mm-hmm. those are the five tastes that we can taste. Okay, and then there's stuff like mouthfeel, which is like you know how full-bodied something is, or does it taste sort of astringent, or is there tannin present? Um, is it really viscous? Things like that. So those aren't really the the sexy things that you'd like describe a beer 
as having, or if you read like a, a you know, review of a, of a um, restaurant or something in a magazine and, and, you know, they're not going to talk so much about like, Oh, it had this exquisite sweetness or something. What they're going to say is like, yeah, it smelled like, you know, like raspberries and leather and, you know, just really interesting aromas. And that's all the sort of the artsy fartsy stuff. It's important for pairing, but it's not the most important thing. So when you're talking about the taste, like sweetness, again, there are five tastes so sweet, sour, salty, bitter and umami and i can i'll talk about umami in a sec here but you know where is when you're talking about like a taco al pastor uh you know like and you describe mm. it as it smells porky and citrusy and mm. smells like cilantro and onion you know or like balsamic vinegar it's like caramelly and nutty and raisiny and thai curry is like gingery coconutty garlicky lemongrass mm. all these things are awesome but they're aromas and they're not the most important part of a pairing Okay, it's the physical and chemical stuff. So uh, the chemistry, I should say, it's chemicals sound bad, but you know, like the, the physio, uh, the physics and the chemistry behind it are more important than the artsy stuff. Mm. And it's like you may get a new car. Okay, imagine, you know, getting a new car and you just love like the paint job. You love the color. You love the look. You love getting in it, feeling like, or just you know, that new car smell is amazing. But it doesn't really matter because it's the stuff under the hood that's most important right without an engine without a transmission and a drivetrain it's not a car all right so it's all the sort of the under the hood stuff that matters most in a pairing so i just want to um, say this is going to be tough yeah. as someone who i think ate frosted mini wheats for three out of my last five meals in quarantine <laughs> this is this might be a tough episode to sit there yeah, for you'd, me you'd be surprised you'd be surprised man. <laughs> oh my god we'll we'll, we'll we'll bring that back uh, when we Wait, start do you have do you have a pairing for some frosted mini yeah what do you want to throw the mini wheats <laughs> Well, I did say there's a beer for every food and food for every beer. Yeah. So, so, so what would you pair with this <laughs> frosted mini wheats? So honestly, I think a uh, I think a Hefeweizen would be good, German Ooh, style of ice beer. The um, wheat. It's kind of creamy. It's bready uh, from the, the wheat that's in it, and it has it's kind of cloudy, so it looks sort of milky. Can I just um, pour it in the bowl instead of the milk? I'm not going to stop you. And put the, <laughs> the mini wheats in it and just. So I uh, I have a lot of smoothies for for breakfasts and uh, during during San Francisco Beer Week I used to make them with uh, with beer. Oh wow! So I make a beer a beer smoothie for breakfast. Is that and, good? Uh, yeah, sure. Why it not? Works. It's better than better than like soy milk or whatever. Mm. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about yeah, let's talk about different pairings, classic pairings. All right, so now that we talked yeah. real loosely about the the theory, okay, complement, contrasting, and cutting, we're going to get into how those apply. And we talked about sort of the difference between the taste and the mouthfeel, the physical and the chemistry stuff, and the aromas and, and how those are different. Let's, let's actually apply this to, to certain foods. So um, I've written up a little menu here that has uh, some sort of, you know, classic pairings of beer and food from different beer cultures around the world. So uh, does one of you want to want to take a stab at, yeah, at pre- yeah. Larry, Larry, you menu? go, Larry. I'll go, for, I'll go first. USA. <laughs> Barbecue chicken thigh, barbecue sauce, grilled scallions. It's paired with an American amber ale, a copper-colored ale with medium bitterness and aromas of caramel, blood orange, and pine. Sounds awesome. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So what else is on the menu here? Uh, let's see. What else we got? We got in Belgium, a wild mushroom quiche paired with a saison, a sp- which is a spritzy Belgian farmhouse ale with hints of lemon and pepper. Germany, bratwurst served with sauerkraut and mustard paired with a pilsner, which is a light-bodied lager with aromas of pepper and bitter herbs. England, oysters on the half shell paired with a porter, 
which is a medium-bodied dark ale with hints of coffee, cranberry, and baked apples. Let me jump in on that one because I think that's the one that really surprises me because it makes sense. Like a pilsner, like a bratwurst, it, and mustard especially, uh, it makes sense. But oysters, mm-hmm. I mean, seafood in general, I think, in my head, I am inclined to not associate with like good beer pairing. You know, um, oh. I mean, it's wrong. I know it's wrong, Rich. I know it's wrong, but <laughs> no, 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 don't, co- don't come here. But, uh, but, but I think oysters especially, and I would think someone else would feel this way. Are there like these little light, sweet, delicious things that just doesn't seem like it would fit with a beer. So can like, why would a porter work well with a oyster? Yeah, we're, let's, let's get into that. Uh, but I mean, just keep in mind, like oysters in like cities near near the coast oysters for you know centuries have been really kind of cheap bar food mm-hmm. um and what do you drink at bars you drink a lot of beer right so yeah london especially is really famous for for porter and it's really famous for oysters so it's it was really common for centuries um until kind of the oyster uh supply situation uh, uh started to tank a little bit um oysters and porter was just like what you what you drank and what what you ate when you went out when you went out to pubs so um, yeah, it's it's a classic pairing. It's awesome. I talked a little bit about it last yeah. uh, episode. We were talking about the idea of doing dark beer with uh, with oysters or with shellfish, and the idea there is that um, well, it's kind of a pairing with contrast, which is a little bit harder to wrap our head around than a pairing with uh, complement. So I kind of want to. Um, I'm worried that if we dig too deeply into the okay. oyster thing, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. get into sort of level two stuff. So I kind of just wanted to point it out though, because I think that's that's like one where that's where I know you you say any food can have a beer. Mm-hmm. Those are the parts that surprise me. Yeah, just well, for the record, just for the record, I love yeah. drinking beer with oysters. I love it. I love it. Awesome. So I'm not I'm not with you on that one, Maddie. But I hear you. I'm not against. You. No, I'm pointing it out to <laughs> to call out the parts that I think are 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 different necessarily than what people might. Expect. I just would assume that it would be something more lemony. And peppery, because that's what I like to put on my oysters. Anyway, I know I'm going. So we're going somewhere we don't need to be going. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, well, let's let's hold those thoughts. We'll get into it. I want to introduce sort of the. We can dig into the barbecue chicken thigh thing first, but uh, but yeah, there there are a couple other kind yeah. of classic. There are a thousand classic pairings that are out there. I, sure. I'll finish. I'll finish off in Belgium. Roasted duck breast with cherry sauce and mashed potatoes, paired with a Belgian Abbey double. I don't know if I said that right. Which is yeah. a chestnut-colored ale with hints of spices, plums, and rum raisin. And last but certainly not least, USA, a brownie mm. and vanilla ice cream sundae paired with a snifter of imperial stout brewed with coffee and aged in bourbon barrels with cacao nibs. Sounds delish. Awesome. Thank you, Larry, for reading those. Uh, yeah, so each of these is a classic pairing with a with a beer and a food from from that place, you know, from England or Germany or Belgium or USA. And they there's basically there's a lot of history behind them. And people have been enjoying them for, for centuries. Well, maybe not the U.S. ones, like a brownie and vanilla ice cream sundae with imperial stout with coffee and bourbon. That's, that's a bit of a newer thing. But certainly these have been um, kind of road tested and, and uh, uh, popularly approved. So they're going to work. But let's talk about what about each one works and why. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's start. Let's start with the, the barbecue chicken thigh, barbecue sauce mm-hmm. and grilled scallions. All right. So that's paired with an American amber ale. All right, so let's talk about what's going on with that in the framework of in- matching intensity, complement, contrast, and cut. All right, so barbecue chicken thigh with that a- American Amber Ale. On a scale of 1 to 10, 
Okay, 10 being really intense, one being not real intense, one being like, you know, a single leaf of lettuce. Okay, uh, mm. how intense is your barbecue chicken thigh with your barbecue sauce and your scallions? Should, should I go first, Larry, or do we count to three? I'd say five or six, depending on how spicy the hot sauce is. I go seven mm-hmm. or eight. If it's like a mild sauce, five or six. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, go, I, I like go, that. Oh. I like that. Yeah, so something like a chicken breast is usually a little bit drier. There's not as much freshness. Mm. So maybe that's, you know, the five. Uh, and Maddie, you were saying seven. I say seven or eight, eight just because the high. sauce would seem very sweet. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, the scale. Yeah, yeah totally. But uh, the, sauce, the, the sauce, sauce, yeah, the sauce is really like a sweet sauce is what I what popped into my sauce. head. Something really. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't have to come up with exact numbers here. But the idea is that's – I would call that a six or a seven. You know, if you add a lot of sauce, it's really sweet and kind of gloppy. That might be a seven. It's got some intensity, but it's – you know, it, there are ways of making it more intense. So American Amber Ale typically has some residual sugar. It's got a decent amount of bitterness. That's That bitterness is sort of balanced with some maltiness and some caramel aromas. It's about, you know, often like five per, 5.5% alcohol, maybe 6% alcohol. And so – Kind of where in the intensity scale would you put that that sort of beer, that American Amber Ale? I think that's a one. Think it's a five. Think it's a ten. What do you think? I mean, I, in my, this is kind of going my memory of Amber Ales. I'd go with like a six or seven, like just yeah, a strong so bitter flavor. Definitely six. there. Definitely yeah. a distinct. Yeah, taste. the one I'm imagining is is a six, basically. So um, yeah, I mean, there obviously there's there are some that have more alcohol, more malt, more bitterness. You know, there there are different couple different ways to to skew an amber ale. But the idea here is that our barbecue chicken is maybe a six or seven, mm-hmm. our beer is maybe a six or seven. So we've basically matched intensity. You don't want to pair a one and a ten. Okay, that's not intensity that's matching. A five and a seven, you could you could pair those. That works. A six and a six is even better. Yeah. Um, but you know, don't 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 focus too much on the intensity matching just make sure it's not totally Mm -hmm. skewed uh away from each other um okay so within this pairing there is a lot of complement right so complementing is when there's a flavor or some aspect that is in both the food and the beer right so it's an echo a complement a harmony something like that okay so um and an example of that in this pairing is i mean first of all just take a look at at the caramels okay that amber ale and that barbecue chicken are pretty similarly colored. <clears throat> They're sort of a caramel color. And that comes from uh, a couple different uh, sets of molecules being created. One of them is called caramels and the other is called Maillard reactions. So caramels look caramelly in color and they taste sweet. Um, they also taste actually a little bit sour, a little bit bitter too, because you're burning some sugars. Um, and then Maillard reactions are like the protein version of caramelized, caramelizing. All right, so you get that sort of those toasty, round flavors. Um, and both of those sets of flavorants, the caramels and the Maillard flavors, are in the barbecue chicken with the barbecue sauce and the grilled scallions, and they're also in the American Amber Ale. All right, so you have a complement of two flavors. They're the okay. exact same flavor is occurring uh, in both the food and the beer. So can you have too much of a good thing? I, I guess so. But in general, if you are enjoying an amber ale, you're probably okay with some of the caramel in there. And so if you had a food that also has a caramelly, toasty note, then that's going to be more of a good thing. So that is an example of compliment in that sort of thing. Okay, got it, got it. Hey, and Rich, on that note, I think you're Mm -hmm. still doing a great job. Oh, man, Maddie, you're you're, you're my buddy. Thanks, Thanks, man. Okay, so let's talk about contrast. So contrast is harder to imagine, okay? Complement is when you've got two things that are present in both the beer and the food. Or sorry, I should say one thing that's present in both the beer and the food. Okay, contrast is when you, there's something different in the beer and the food, but it's used in a good way, 
All right. And so the way I, I like to explain contrast is it's like an antidote. All right. So if you sat around all day eating barbecue chicken, are you going to get sick of it? Are you going to want something else, some other food or some other beverage to, to get in and kind of interrupt the flavor of that barbecue chicken? It depends on whose barbecue chicken I'm eating. <laughs> it really just depends, depends on who's the grill. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think there are, there are some fun, phenomenal ones out there. But, um, you know, if you're literally eating it for like four hours straight, you're going to get really sick of it. You need something to provide that antidote. Yeah, only, only right. uh, Frosted Mini Weights can go that far. <laughs> awesome. Very few foods. So, yeah, uh, and I don't know what barbecues you're going to. I could eat, I could eat barbecue <laughs> for four hours straight. Uh, I'm, I'm outmatched here. I apologize. So, yeah, so the idea of a contrast that is a good contrast would be something like, you know, bringing in, if you got too much sweetness, how about adding some saltiness? Okay, or if you have too much sweetness, how about adding some acid, you know, something sour? So it's like adding a little bit of salt to a caramel, right? So salted caramel. Mm. Or if you have too much sweetness, what about adding some lemon juice? And all of a sudden you get lemonade, all right? So you want or like a goza? What a goza? Well, then? yeah. Is that yeah, too... I mean, goza is sour. It's Ooh. got some salt. Yeah, that that could work. You might run into intensity issues. Okay. Gozas don't tend to be too intense. I see. Um, but yeah, point. so with this with this pairing, the American Amber Ale doesn't really have a lot in it that is markedly different than the barbecue chicken thigh with the barbecue sauce and the grilled scallions. Gotcha. All right. So this is a pairing that is going to work, but it really is only about complement. It's really only about finding something that's in both. There's you know there's some bitter sweetness in the beer. There's bitter sweetness in the chicken. You know, and you got the caramels, you got the Maillard going on. You know, the only thing that's really kind of really different is that you have some herbs and er, kind of herbal aromas and citrus aromas that come from the hops uh, in the beer. Um, and those aren't really present in the food, except maybe in the scallions. You know, scallions are sort of uh, the allium family and you get sort of allium aromas from American hops. So you get scallion or garlic or something like that. Um, you know, that's there, there may be a pairing in there, but in general, that's not what this thing is about. Um, so this is really just about compliment. And mm-hmm. it's a fantastic example of what Garrett Oliver calls. So Garrett Oliver is the brewmaster at Brooklyn Brewery in uh, in New York. And he wrote a book called The Brewmaster's It's Table. a great book. I it's an awesome book. book. Yeah. Definitely recommend reading it if you're interested in learning a lot more about beer styles, but also um, beer and food pairings. So um, he says, and I totally agree with him, that most wine and food pairings are about contrast and beer pairs much more heavily with complement. Right. So the idea there is that wine, because wine is predominantly sour. Okay. It's sour. doesn't have a lot of sweetness. I mean, most table wine, you know, that's, that's dry. It doesn't have sweetness in it. Boo wine. (laughs) No, it's delicious. But, and it's got a lot of alcohol too. You know, it's 10, 14% alcohol, something like that. It's kind of the common range. So if you were to, uh, I mean, most food that we eat doesn't have tons, it's not tons of acid. And it's not tons of alcohol, right? So wine brings these to a pairing and they can work nicely in contrast. Again, as an antidote, remember contrast is sort of like the antidote. Beer though, beer has much less acidity than wine. It is acidic, Larry, you were right, but it has less acidity than, than most wines. Most beers have less acidity than most wines. And um, it has generally less alcohol than, than wine. Um, and instead, it has a whole lot more kind of food aromas. It's got a lot of cooked bready aromas, like toasty aromas, caramel aromas. Um, certainly has fruit aromas and herb aromas that wine also has. Wine and beer both have spice aromas. So a lot of the aromatics are in common, except for a lot of this cooked bread and cooked um, kind of cooked sugar aromas. 
Uh, and those and toasty and burned aromas too are, are similar. You know, they're in a lot of beers and a lot of foods have those. Obviously we like a lot of cooked food stuff that comes out of the oven or off, off the grill or out of the smoker or something like that. And wine I'm just, really- I'm just, I'm just still trying to figure out how you figure you get tired of eating barbecue after four hours. <laughs> I guess I guess we're different people, Larry. I, <laughs> I just I just know I want that beer. You're clearly just in it for the food. I'm in I'm in it for the pairing. Yeah, so so beer really tends to pair more from a complimentary standpoint than than wine does. Um, so that's that's something that Garrett wrote in uh, in the Brewmasters table, and I totally agree with it. And I think that this idea of a barbecue chicken with barbecue sauce and scallions with the American amber ale is a great example of that. It's a lot about um, complement, not contrast. So, Larry, I don't want to forget that there yeah. is something other than just compliment and contrast. What okay. was that third C? Cut! Oh, Jesus. <laughs> cut! <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, yeah, so cutting. So cutting is, is an idea of a physical contrast, and that's where you have – it's especially common when you have – food that's kind of rich or sweet or gloppy or sugary or something and it um and it's or fatty and it just coats your tongue coats your palate beer can cut through that uh with usually carbonation sometimes acidity sometimes uh tannins but most of the time we're talking about carbonation um that cuts through that it just releases all the food that's kind of um gripping your palate and allows you to uh when you say tannins you're talking about like alcohol like alcohol right no, I'm talking about no. so, so tannins are they're, they're they're proteins that come from or they're, they're phenolic compounds technically that okay. come from things like uh, husk in that's uh, like the husk that's on kernels of barley and and uh, kernels of rye. It's okay. also the skin and the seeds of grapes. So we okay. talk about tannin all the time when we're talking about red wine. Um, you also get tannin from oak. Uh, so there, there's a lot. Wine is a lot of red wine is structured around tannins. Beer, you don't talk about it that much, and most beers don't really have a tannic um, aspect to them. However, certain beers do, especially if they've been oak-aged or if they have rye as a, as a grain that's in them. Um, those are typical, or maybe pepper, peppercorn being added, or, or cacao, or coffee. Those are the main sources of tannin in, in a beer, or even fruit, I guess. You could add grapes or cherries or raspberries or something. Um, so tannin does have a role in beer, um, but it's not as common. Got so. It. Um, yeah, so basically, yeah, we were cutting through the richness of the, of the, you know, the skin on the chicken thigh and the sweetness of the barbecue sauce. Um, we're cutting through that with the carbonation of the, of the beer. And so it refreshes your palate. It scrubs away. You know, you got scrubbing bubble action on there to, uh, to be able to taste both the beer and the food that much better uh, on that, you know, after that sip. All right. So we kind of beat that one to death here. Um, let's talk about you guys have the menu in front of you. You want to mm-hmm. pick another another dish from this menu or Maddie, we can talk about the oysters. oysters. I, I think, yeah, let's oysters. jump on those oysters. Yeah, let's do that one. OK, now. awesome. OK, so when you drink a porter, does it taste like oysters? Oh, really quick, really quickly. I, I don't think I could eat that quiche for four hours straight. I just want to make sure that's clear. Would you All right. Well, that's good, Larry. So <laughs> perhaps you would need an antidote. Perhaps you need a Cezanne. Uh, which is the beer that we paired with it. Um, and that's going to offer both contrast and cutting, which are going to help you, you know, kind of be the, it, it'll be the antidote for that, uh, that wild mushroom quiche. And just so, like that, I got it. I got it. Done and done. <laughs> um, okay. So oysters, does a porter taste like oysters? I would say no. no. <laughs> does it smell like oysters? Does it look like oysters? Does it feel like oysters? No, no. It doesn't no. have anything, anything really in common directly with, with oysters. So this is an example of a beer that is pairing with oysters through contrast, all right? And I think that it's a really delicious pairing. Obviously, you know, centuries of Englishmen in, in London uh, would agree. Um, so 
intensity. We often think of Porter as really intense, but we were touching on on talking about Porter when we were talking about, uh, I think it was episode three, we were talking about um, the Washington and the hair. And uh, and so Porter is a really delicious, easy drinking beer a lot of the time. There are stronger, richer Porters out there that have a lot of alcohol and can have a lot of really roasty dark malt. But in general, Porter is meant to be, it's a session beer. It's a beer you drink a lot of and you want to drink a, a second glass. You want to drink a third glass. Um, so the most intense beers in the world, you don't want to drink more than one of. So Porter, really, the basic Porter is a really approachable beer. So mm. its intensity is probably a, a six, maybe a five even, if it's like a London-style brown Porter. So Porter's intensity is not through the roof. And uh, oysters, how, where would you put them on the intensity scale, one, one to ten? Again, oysters? Raw, raw, raw oysters are we, on the half. Are we throwing vinaigrette on the are – we, are we messing around with – no, just the base oysters. Put, put yourself in England, okay? So okay. You have a so we're just lemon wedge or lime wedge. Oi, mate. Spritz on it. You got some Terrio, Terrio. Oh, no fish and chips all take the oysters to date. Cheers, mate. Cheers, man. Oh, I don't, that, it's not working. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, intensity? Um, oh. I think not that intense. I, in I don't know. It's yeah. hard because they have a distinct flavor, but I, I don't know. I would, I would initially think not that intense, like a four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think I'd say three, three or four. Yeah, it depends yeah. how you eat them too. If you just swallow them without chewing them up at all, without kind of gumming them, then um, then they're yeah, they're pretty low in intensity, maybe a three. But yeah, it's def- definitely not like a six or seven or something like that. So so the intensity match is not perfect with this one. However, it is a classic pairing. So let's talk about let's talk about this this contrast. So again, contrast. Think of it as an antidote. If you had oysters for four hours, Larry, could you do it? You might yes. need you need that remoulade, <laughs> or you need that you need that uh, mignonette sauce, or some lemon juice, or something to sort of wake up those oysters and kind of kind of contrast them. And that's what porter can do, right? So the beer has bitterness, acid, and uh, and a little bit of astringency that comes from those dark malts. So bitterness, acid, and astringency are going to contrast the sweetness and the succulence of that oyster, mm. right? So this is this is very much this is a good example of a taste and a mouthfeel interaction. Remember, I said it was like opening up the hood of that new car, you know, what's under the hood is really what drives the pairing. Okay. We're not talking about aromas, right? So the beer cuts through and contrasts the oyster sweetness with bitterness, with acid, and with a touch of tannin, with a little bit of uh, astringency. There's actually a compliment in there because especially with a London style porter, porter, you actually have some salt in that beer because there's salt in the water table in the well water that, uh, that brewers traditionally brewed with in London. So that saltiness is also obviously present in the oyster liquor. So you get a compliment um, there. But in general, this, this pairing is about contrast. So let's talk about aroma interactions. Uh, so things like minerality, uh, or actually, yeah, let's, let's, we talked about saltiness and minerality. But something like the roastiness uh, of the beer, that's, that's an aroma, adds sort of a grilled oyster note. It mm. adds like a cooked or grilled note to the oyster. And I know we're having raw oysters here, but are grilled oysters bad? And they get a no. little smoky, get a little, you know. No, they're not uh, bad. Yeah, there's, get, there's no bad oyster. There's no bad <laughs> there's, oyster. <laughs> I'm sure some people out there that have had bad oysters would disagree. But uh, that's <laughs> about the way you prepare it. The way you prepare it. You can <laughs> have you a go. bad chef, but. <laughs> but yeah, so I the roastiness eat. is going to add, you know, through contrast, through something that's not in the oyster, it adds that roastiness to add some antidote and actually kind of garnish the oyster a little bit. It, it enlivens the oyster with some more flavor. And then the beer I, I described in the, on the menu there that it's kind of fruity. So you get a little bit of kind of an apple aroma from, from a lot of porters. You get a little bit of sort of a dark red fruit, like a cranberry note from porters. 
Um, that's a combination of acidity from the malt, but also especially uh, esters that come from the yeast from the fermentation. So porters do have an underlying fruitiness. And again, that's not something that's present in the oyster. But if you add a remoulade to the oyster, you mm. know, or if you add a mignonette to the oyster, if you add some lemon mignonette. juice to the oyster, you're adding a little bit of fruitiness to the oyster. Larry, what's in your remoulade? You got you got uh, celery, you got some some little uh, pickled cucumbers. What What's in your remoulade recipe? I, I, I don't know what's in it except my finger and my spoon <laughs> putting it on the oyster. And there's some Old Bay, I'm sure. The mignonette is usually champagne vinegar with a little bit of shallot. Um, you know, you get a little bit of fruitiness from, from that champagne vinegar. You know, when you add these things as garnishes to the oyster, you're you're adding stuff that sounds sort of weird. It's like, why would you add fruit to, uh, you know, to a seafood? But yeah. it's it's a classic pairing. So um, yeah, so the beer can do that, just a little bit of it, but it does it. So yeah, so that's that's the idea of oysters and porter. It's through it's a contrast, not uh, not a, a compliment. There's gotcha. not a lot of echoing of flavor. Got it. All right, so let's here. Let me let me run through a couple more of these real quickly. So we kind of dug in pretty deep on some of these uh, on those first two, but let's actually let's kind of blow through some of these. Um, so let's talk about roasted duck breast, cherry sauce, mashed potatoes. Uh, that's a typical you know typical dish you might have in belgium um and what are they drinking it with well actually they have there are a number of beers in belgium that are going to pair nicely with that but a belgian abbey double is going to be perfect so an abbey double tastes like or smells like uh caramel and toffee and uh raisins and you know plum and spice like clove yeah. and cinnamon and stuff like that it's, it's christmas it's a really amazing beer when it add, it's going to add those flavors to the roasted duck and the mashed potatoes and cherry sauce. The cherry sauce doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have aromas of clove and it doesn't have, um, you know, all, yeah, all those spice and caramel aromas. The roasted duck breast doesn't have that. Mashed potatoes don't have that. So it's going to add these aromas and they're going to be contrast to sort of wake up, uh, wake up that dish. Um, but obviously we've proven just through the food that the cherry sauce works with the duck really well. Right. And so that's going to be, um, you know, the idea of bringing fruit to that duck is going to be nice. And we can do that in the through the beer with plum and the raisin aromas that come from that beer. So, yeah, you're you're doing that. You're adding some you got some compliment there. You got some contrast. Um, the alcohol is actually uh, going to be noticeable too, potentially in a double. And that alcohol can help cut through some of the richness of that of that duck breast, the fatty, fatty duck breast and those kind of starchy mashed potatoes. Um, that one sounds really he, good. That one, that one gets me a little bit. Now I'm. It is I'm delicious. That. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so bratwurst, sauerkraut, mustard with pills with a pilsner. I mean, that's super classic, right? Why does that work? So this is uh, this is again more contrast than compliment. Okay, the the beer doesn't taste like sausage. The beer doesn't taste like sauerkraut. The beer sort of acts like mustard, though. Okay, can you imagine having a bratwurst without mustard? It's a, it's, it's like a sin, right? So what the mustard is doing is it's bringing a little bit of kind of a um, kind of a grassy herbal note from the actual mustard seed. It's also bringing some acidity. Um, that acidity is going to cut through the richness of the bratwurst, and that uh, kind of the flavor of the mustard itself is going to add some sort of herbaceous, uh, you know, peppery note um, in the aroma. And the pilsner can do the same sort of thing. It has slight acidity just because it's a beer, and all beer is acidic. Uh, and it also has kind of herbaceous, you know, herbal pepper aromas from German hops that are going to work really nicely with that, with that bratwurst. And then it also has sort of a crackery malt aroma that can act like your bread. All right. I know in the U S we usually have things like bratwurst on a, on a bun, but in Germany, they just have it on a plate. Right. And so that you have a plate, it's like a meat, meat and two sort of instead of meat and three, meat and two, you got your bratwurst, your sauerkraut and your mustard. And so if you bring the bread in the form of your beer, your liquid bread, um, yeah. then that's obviously a, a fantastic pairing. So yeah, it's going to be a delicious pairing there. I promise. 
and then yeah let's let's talk about dessert pairings too so brownie uh, vanilla ice cream sundae with a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout with uh, coffee and cacao nibs that's just it's it's so mind-blowingly d- delicious to have those together uh, i promise uh, you got to try that if you're if you're new to to dessert and beer pairings um so the trick with a good dessert pairing is that you got to have um, the beverage, whether it's a beer or a wine, needs to be as sweet as the dessert okay. or more sweet than the mm-hmm. dessert. Okay, If your dessert is sweeter than what you're drinking, it's going to make the, the beverage seem really thin and um, mm. it's not going to seem nearly as sweet either. So it's it's not going to be a really enjoyable pairing. Um, so a lot of Imperial Stouts have a fair amount of residual sugar, fairly sweet, and they're aged in bourbon barrels where they get extra aromas of vanilla and caramel from from the oak and from the the bourbon that had been in the in the bourbon barrel. So those aromas are going to make it seem even sweeter, and it's going to pair really nicely with that brownie and the vanilla ice cream. Again, this is all okay. about complement, not so much contrast, because you got things like uh, the chocolate, the dark chocolate aromas, uh, the coffee aromas are in both the brownie and the beer. You know, you got caramel and vanilla aromas from the bourbon barrel that are in the beer. They're also going to be present, um, you know, in the ice cream, and, and you get a little bit of caramelization in that brownie. Um, so all of those are compliments and the booze in that beer is actually going to garnish this, this pairing or, you know, garnish the food a little bit with sort of what, what are called higher alcohols. So higher alcohols are different from just ethanol and they tend to come out more strongly in highly alcoholic beers. They can smell like flowers and they can smell like mint. And so you add a little bit of sort of a floral mintiness um, from the beer. It's real subtle, but it's there uh, with this brownie vanilla ice cream sundae mm. um, and it's going to be awesome. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, you might even get a little bit of kind of sherryish, nutty almond extract notes if, if the beer's been aged in that barrel for a long time. So that's another thing that's going to be added to that uh, to that food. It's going to be super. I've had I've had this pairing. It, it is very good. It's awesome, very good. <laughs> awesome. So um, yeah, so that's uh, kind of a nerdy approach at breaking down a a menu of classic beer and food pairings. Um, but I hope you have a better idea of why these pairings work and how food and beer interact with each other. Yeah, that was a great rundown. Well, super helpful. Intensity um, match. That intensity match is, uh, you know, for the first time, it's like really like light bulb for me. Awesome. Yeah, I feel a little bad but that the oysters and porter didn't actually have a perfect intensity match. I've never really noticed. That's such a classic pairing, and they really are delicious together. But I've never broken it down like, like we just did. And, um, yeah, the intensities are a little off. But, again, I promise you, you got to try these things together, and you're going to be in love. Yeah, that sounds good. Have you ever had an oyster? Like you've had an oyster stout. I was gonna say. I was gonna ask how how long have oyster stouts been around? Is that a more classic? Yeah, yeah, beer? hundreds of years. Okay, cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the idea there is that you're adding, uh, you're getting some minerality from the oysters, mm-hmm. um, and that minerality is not so much something you can taste, but it will affect the efficiency of the of the mash, um, and it'll affect how basically when you add a lot of dark malt, it has a lot of acidity to it. Um, that dark malt will bring down the pH of, of your mash. And if you add a lot of calcium carbonate from some source, whether it's your well water, like in Munich, or whether it's uh, oyster shells, that calcium carbonate is going to uh, hmm. sort of buffer some of that acidity and allow you to get a more efficient conversion of malt sugar or sorry, malt starches into sugars, fermentable sugars. Oh, cool. All right. That's something we should probably get into another time. Oh, well, that, that sounds like there's a whole subject there. Yeah. There's a lot of nerdiness yeah. involved <laughs> in mashing and, and pH and water chemistry and all that stuff. All right, so that we we nerded out hard there. Um, let's let's take a step back here. Um, and and if if beer and food pairings seem strange, uh, let's take a let's take a look at other sorts of pairings that seem more familiar, presumably. So this sounds silly, but food and food beer, uh, pairings. Okay, food and food, you pair together all the time. 
you know, what, what do you like better than a peanut butter sandwich? How about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? All right. So do you like butter on your bagel or do you like cream cheese on your bagel? You know, do you prefer red curry, red Thai curry or green Thai curry? You know, all these things, all these preferences that you have are memories that you have of trying these foods in different uh, ratios and different pairings and coming up with whatever you like about those things and, uh, and wanting to repeat those. So um, you pair all the time. Every, everyone who's listening to this podcast pair food and food all the time. Yeah. You so, wackos who didn't want to listen to rich at the beginning <laughs> of the pot. You put fries there, with your burgers, you dummies. There are many oh, reasons not to listen jerk. to me, but, uh, but that is not one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So um, let's talk about a uh, cheeseburger and ketchup. All right. Ever had a cheeseburger with ketchup? Have I ever had a cheeseburger with ketchup? I have. I've had a cheeseburger I have. with ketchup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not uncommon. Um, yeah. So what you're doing when you're adding that ketchup is you're adding sweetness you're adding sourness, saltiness, and umami, plus a little bit of kind of red fruit flavor to the burger. All right. So ketchup is all these things. Ketchup has tons of sugar. It has acid from vinegar as well as the acid of the tomatoes. It's got a lot of salt that's added. Umami. We haven't really talked about umami, but umami is, is there's a lot of it in tomatoes, Parmesan cheese, cured mm. meats, shiitake mushrooms, seaweed. It's a really interesting collection of foods that it's in, but it often is a signifier for proteins. All right. And so our tongues can taste umami. Um, we don't really talk about it a lot in Western cuisine, but in Eastern cuisine, it's a really common thing. And it's uh, it just adds a depth uh, to to whatever you're eating. And uh, it's it's sort of a, a trigger for our, our brains to say, "Ooh, uh, this might be a source of, of protein. You say, I love cheeseburgers, but I don't think I could eat them for four hours straight. Well, you need some ketchup with them for sure. But you also probably need some wine even with ketchup, with <laughs> even with ketchup. So, yeah, so when you add, like, an oak red wine, okay, a lot of people are going to have a cheeseburger with a glass of Syrah or Pinot Noir or Cabernet Sauvignon or something like that. That red wine is adding sourness. It's adding some saltiness. It's adding uh, some tannin, but also red fruit, all right? So we're ticking off a lot of the same or checking off a lot of the same boxes of that ketchup added, okay? Sourness, saltiness, red fruit, all right? So that's why that pairing works nicely. And with beer find is there a beer out there that has the same stuff that ketchup has uh maddie have you ever heard of a beer called rodenbach grunt grunt crew i absolutely know rodenbach or grand crew du- duchesse de Bourgogne. i love the duchesse de Bourgogne. <laughs> i think <laughs> known in this country is the duchess i love the duchess. i got a great i got a great little aside to tell about the duchess so i was in a bar one time that um i saw it, it was a dive bar in san francisco but they had a bottle of, of duchesse de Bourgogne on on the back wall I was like, oh, this is great. I'm totally in the mood for this beer. And I am careful most of the time about how I pronounce things because I, I like to know the real pronunciation. But if I'm, if I'm in a dive bar in San Francisco, I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb and order, you know, with the French, French, Belgian pronunciation. Um, but I did that by accident. So I ordered this uh, Duchesse de Bourgogne and uh, I, it was a cash only spot, which is, is a, the mark of a San Francisco dive bar. And I was out of cash. So I ran across the street to the ATM and I came back and uh, came back to the bar. The bartender says, here you go. And she pushes two shot glasses my way uh, that had um, some clear liquor in them. And I said, uh, what are these? She said, you ordered two shots of Herodura, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some egg on my face there. I felt like an idiot. <laughs> so be careful how you pronounce things. <laughs> Anyway, so back to our <clears throat> beer and food pairing here. Um, Rodenbach, Grand Cru, and uh, Duchesse de Bourgogne, or Duchess of Burgundy, uh, both are sweet-ish 
sourish beers that have umami from the barrel aging with the yeast, uh, as well as red fruit aromas, okay, aromas of cherry and uh, cranberry and pomegranate, things like that. Um, so that can sort of be your ketchup, all right? So let's talk, talk about pizza toppings, okay? Are you in the mood for, Larry, are you a Bianco guy or a marinara guy? Do you like a red sauce in your pizza or do you like it uh, with a, just olive oil and stuff? It's pizza. It, I don't care. Put whatever you want to put on it. <laughs> well, that was very equivocal. <laughs> you're still you're still imagining that barbecue chicken. I can tell. Yeah, I am. I am because I could eat it for four hours. Um, no, I, look, I like I like uh, I like it with marinara, I like uh, with white sauce, and I also, I mean, I just I like pizza. So yeah. yeah. But they're yeah. different, you know? I mean, obviously, where sure. I'm going with this is that, you know, if you're in the – sometimes you're in the mood for Bianco, you want a little bit of a white sauce or you want some just some olive oil in there. <clears throat> or sometimes you want the marinara. And the marinara obviously has more acidity, more salt, more umami, and, you know, it's a, it's a cooked-down tomato that's totally not present in the Bianco. And so it just mm. depends on what mood you're in. But everyone has a mood, you know, well, uh, other than Larry, who's happy with both, you know. Um, I like the marinara. Sort of- I say marinara is the superior pizza. The, I agree, Maddie. Record. Thank you. Um, yeah, I like a little bit of acid with that pizza. Um, and that's what marinara is going to provide. I'm not afraid. So, <clears throat> nice. Um, all right, so bell peppers and mushrooms, okay? When you add those to your pizza, you're adding a little bit of sweetness. Um, you're adding some umami from the mushrooms, earthy aromas, certainly from the mushrooms, even vegetable aromas uh, from the uh, from the green bell peppers. Those are called pyrazines. Um, <clears throat> wines, uh, you know, is there a wine that's going to add sweetness, um, or umami, earthy aromas, vegetable aromas? How about a Cabernet Sauvignon? All right. So Cabernet Sauvignon, um, usually has a little bit of residual sugar in it, uh, to temper some of its tannin, but it also has, uh, certainly earthy aromas from, you know, like forest floor is a common set of aromas in a red wine and vegetable aromas. You get some green bell pepper out of something like a Cabernet Sauvignon. So that's a common pairing that could work really nicely with, with that pizza with bell peppers and mushrooms. Um, you know, there are other red wines out there that could do it as well, too. But beers, let's talk about a Cezanne. Let's talk about a uh, wit beer, a Guz, or even an English bitter or a brown ale. You know, all these things are going to add um, kind of earthy aromas, vegetable aromas, uh, maybe a little bit of sweetness, depending on which of those beers you choose. But all those are going to work really nicely with the bell peppers and mushrooms um, on, that, on that pizza. Mm. So um, another one here would be uh, ham and pineapple on your pizza. I know that's sort of like polarizing. A lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. I it's personally good. love it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in. Yeah. Nice. Um, so what you're doing when you do that is you're adding to your pizza, you're adding saltiness from your ham. You're adding some umami from the ham, some smoke from the ham, acid, sweetness, and citrus tropical aromas from your from your pineapple. You know, wines, what are you going to pair with that? You might do something like a, a coastal white that has some some uh, salinity, you know, some saltiness from being on the coast, um, some acid. So something like a Falangina could work. Um, you know, Sauvignon Blanc uh, would have some citrus, tropical aromas. Um, you know, something even like a nice oak-aged Chardonnay um, that has a little bit of lemon curd and tropical fruit aroma. Uh, or at least melon aromas. You know those things. Those are the those are the wines you might pair with that pizza. So the food and food pairing, you've dis- you've chosen to add ham and pineapple. The wine pairing, wine can reinforce the ham and pineapple flavors. Uh, and your beer pairing, you can do the same thing. You know, instead of having wine, you could do any of th- you know three different things. Is, is kind of how I've come up with it. You can stick with the smokes, uh, smoke and sweetness by doing a Rauch beer. Um, you know, Maddie, you were talking about Bomberg earlier. R- Bomberg is famous for. It's Rauch beer. You can get a Merzen or a Bach. Both of them are going to bring in some smoky sweetness mm. uh, to that pizza. Uh, you were also talking about Goza earlier. So a Goza, or especially like an Imperial Goza, something that's a little bit stronger 
um, and richer could go with that pizza really nicely. Gozos typically have some sourness. They have some saltiness. And a lot of the time they're fruited. So you might have a grapefruit goza. So it's adding Ooh. citrus as well. So Ooh. that's going to work really nicely with that ham and pineapple pizza. And then my favorite would be a guz. Um, it's actually what I'm drinking right now. Uh, I'm super in the mood for a guz. Um, so a guz is a uh, type of lambic. It's long aged in oak and it's wild fermented. It's a lot of weird stuff going on. But it actually has pineapple aromas. Um, that's a compound called ethyl butyrate. It's got smoke aromas from 4-ethylphenol as well as 4-ethylguayacol. Both of those are smoky. Umami from long barrel aging uh, with, with yeast present, you know, barrel aging on yeah. the leaves. It's got acid from the, from the souring of it. It's got all sorts of stuff that is similar to adding that pineapple and that ham to that pizza. So that would be killer. So I've been Delish. talking too much about Sounds this. Really this is making me hungry. Sounds really good. <laughs> Speaking of lambics, lambics, which, uh, what yeah. is it, a 20 kilometer area that they could basically, be, that are basically made in? I don't know. It's don't a know small exactly the size of it, but yeah, region-ish. It's, it's, it's a smallish small area. Rich, you were rich, but speaking of Belgium, Rich, you were born in Belgium, right? I was not born in Belgium. No, but I lived. Yeah, I lived, lived there. Lambic okay. country for a little while. Yeah, yeah. When I was eight and nine years old, I lived out there. I was born oh. in New Jersey. Oh, how about <laughs> it? Just, just say Belgium. Just, 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 just say, say yes. I'm born Wait, in. You Belgium. don't like Jersey? You got a problem with Jersey? Jersey's man? fine. It's just, I don't mean to upset the the Jersey listeners. <laughs> All right, so I, I promised that we'd talk a little bit about, um, you know, why to pair beer. And a big one for this, I mean, I obviously like it. I think it's delicious. Uh, there's a lot of history behind it. You know, in the U.S., we think about pairing wine and food. But in countries with a lot of beer history, particularly where they, you know, it's too cold to grow grapes, places like, you know, northern Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands, uh, the U.K., you know, these places have beer instead of wine. So they've been pairing beer with food for, for centuries, you know. And so there's a ton of, there's a ton of history behind it. So, yeah, those are, you know, obviously some reasons to do it. Uh, uh, beer is an affordable luxury. You get, you know, some of the best beer in the world. It costs a fraction of what the best wine in the world costs. But then another reason to do that is wine has a lot of, um, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are a handful of foods or, or kind of weaknesses that wine has when it is, is paired with those foods. So um, that includes things like spicy food, uh, you know, like hot spicy food. A lot of Asian cuisines, you know, especially from Southeast Asia, like, uh, you know, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, places like that. A lot of that food has trouble with a lot of wines. Vegetables like asparagus and artichokes, oily fish, you know, even tomatoes can can cause problems with, with wine pairing. Um, and beer is, I think, there to sort of save the day. The idea with spicy food is that, you know, capsaicin is the actual substance that's, that is so spicy to, to us that's in chili peppers. Um, it accentuates acid, okay? So, if you have a wine, wine is highly acidic. And so it aggravates the capsaicin. The capsaicin aggravates the acid at the same time. So it makes it difficult to consume. And something like a sweet wine can work. Yes, it still has acid, but you, the sugar in the sweetness, or sorry, the sugar in the sweet wine will cover up some of that acid. Mm. But if you're having like spicy tacos, do you really want to have a glass of port with mm. those spicy tacos? You know, it's just not a great fit for the time, of, no, thanks. the time of the meal that you're having it. Disgusting. So, so yeah, so beer is sort of there to save the day. Most beer has a lot less acid than wine. It has a little bit of sugar most of the time. Um, and it's usually refreshing and sort of cleansing because beer is more, wa- you know, higher water content than wine is. You know, most wines are like 85% water. Most beer is 95% water. So that extra amount of water is that much more refreshing and kind of cleansing yeah. um, with uh, f- for that spice, that capsaicin. So, um, yeah, I, I can go into this. There's a, there's a long list here, but um, I, I, I'm probably talking too much, and I think we're running a little long here. So I'll, I'll, I'll 
I'll tame it or I'll tamp it down here. No, that's a great rundown and and we can always, obviously always return to it. And if people ever want to ask, ask for beer pairing suggestions and stuff like that, feel free to write in and ask Rich. Please do. Yeah. There's no way that this is, this is not something we can have available for listeners. Is it this or no? The menu? Is what? Oh, the menu? I'm just thinking of the, I'm just, you know, something to download. I don't know. I can post, I can tweet, I can post the menu, Rich, as long as you don't mind. No, I I don't mind at all. Yeah, I can put it on, uh, I can put it on Instagram too. We have an Instagram, Instagram account now at Liquid Bread Pod. Hell yeah. Liquid Bread Pod. Anyway, so yeah, the idea behind this, this, I'm just passionate about this stuff. I just love great beer and great food experiences. Um, There's a lot of science there's a lot of sort of theory and reasoning behind why these things work well. And, and the, if you get to understand that stuff, you can help predict when a pairing is going to be great. And so when you're at the store and you're planning a menu or you're trying to figure out what beers to buy uh, with this food, you know, if you have an educated idea about how this stuff works, then you're going to have a lot, you know, bigger, uh, a lot more success with, with coming up with great pairings. Well, I almost think kind of what you're saying, I mean, I know Rich, you are very passionate about this and you're an expert on this and you know more than most people about this, but I would say there are a lot of people I think would consider themselves foodies or they love food and, and, but they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't necessarily say they're that into either, you know, pairings or beer, but I think it's all kind of extensions of the same thing. I think if you're into food, I would argue you're into a good pairing and you're into good beer and you're into good wine and finding ways that these things interact with each other. It's kind of like you said, food and food is paired together. It's liquid is the only difference, but otherwise you're consuming this as part of your meal for both the joy of the taste and for the you know nutrition. And so I would say yeah. that really a lot of people that don't haven't really just thought about this, all they need to do is like you're doing rich is make people aware of it and tell them that there's this whole extra dimension to food that people already love and know very well that they can appreciate. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I like that. That was um, very well said, Maddie. That was very well yeah, said. I, guess, was, yeah, I get one or two in every episode. <laughs> if you like flavor, you know, if you like food, there's no reason you shouldn't like wine yeah. or beer or cider, you know, all these other things that have a lot of history and flavor, you know, in them and a lot of integrity. Um, yeah. It's all, it's all fair game. It's all going to be delicious. I promise. So um, yeah. Knowing, knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. <laughs> Larry. Sorry. Beautiful. <laughs> that was funny. I figured the third time would be funny. Uh, okay. So, yeah, let's let's lead into um, so something, another line about um, from Garrett Oliver from the Brewmaster's Table that I love is uh, Cezanne is the most promiscuous beer style when it comes to food pairing. Oh, uh, Cezanne cool. just has so many food pairing affinities. Um, just it just it goes so well with so many different foods because i could do the saison with some oysters yes yeah that would totally work you don't have to do the porter that's a porter is a classic pairing but saison is also going to work fantastically so mm. bravo so you guys i'm sure haven't had a sip uh, uh, you know all episode here so you can finally open up a beer mm. i'll allow it <laughs> so uh <laughs> yeah open up crack 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 open your bottle of Cezanne DuPont. Well, I'm, I'm twist. And, uh, I'm untwisting the wire at the moment. Let's, I really like this beer. I, I already untwisted mine, Maddie. And oh, you've been drinking it. I, I pounded a pill. No, no, I haven't. Oh. I, I wasn't, I have not been drinking it. Oh, I was in preparation. I knew we were about to be done. Whoop. That was me. I knew he was about to finish. So I wanted to be ready. Nice. Well, there you, uh, you broke sommelier's code by uh, taking off the, uh, the wire part and just leaving the, leaving the cork exposed. Cause it could blow at any moment. I didn't, I didn't do that. I, okay. that. I took it all off at the same time, which is okay. where you go. Bravo. Um, yeah. All right. So go ahead and pour your, pour your Cezanne into a glass. 
got a lot of liveliness to it. It's a mm-hmm. very bubbly, effervescent yeah. beer. Big crown of foam. Big yeah. head of foam. I might top. have accidentally uh, gotten a little too much head on this beer. I yeah, love the foam. Right. I love right. the foam. I do love yeah. it, but I got. I don't know. So you, you, um, I, I, would, I don't. I wouldn't want you to see the pour that I just poured, Rich. <laughs> shameful, another demerit. A shameful pour. So uh, yeah, what do you what do you guys smell on this beer? Take, take a lemon, lemon uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Citrus, 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 like crazy. Mm-hmm. Pepper, pepper. Cool. Grass. I'm getting grass. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that wrong? I feel like uh, cracker, cracker, like cracker. What? Whatever you smell is right for you. I also happen to agree with all those. I think all I get, those are definitely in there. I get a little bit of the yeasty smell too. Okay, yeah. What what does yeasty smell like? It's like dough or like kind mushroom of, or kind of like right. a like a funky dough. Yeah, like okay. a little bit of a tangier yeah, like dough. I mean, it hits the citrus is there too, but um, mm-hmm. it smells just like sort of like sourdough, right? Yeah, that funk. That yeah, cracker mm-hmm. man. I'm getting cracker. Yeah, yeah, awesome. There's a ton of cracker there. Um, there's, there's one. So this, there are a lot of different saisons out there, and they all use a different. Well, not all of them, but there are a, a handful of different saison yeast strains out there. The Dupont strain is famous for having this one aroma that is sort of lurking in there. It's sneaking beneath all the lemon and the pepper and the grass and all that stuff. Uh, it's bubble gum. You guys smell bubble gum in there? Oh yeah, when you take a big, when you take a big old whiff. <laughs> yeah, it sounds crazy. Then, yeah. But, uh, but it's there. Um, I, don't know. I don't know if I get that, but well, yeah. So at this point, I'd just say, go ahead and try it. Taste it. Let me know if those aromas change now that you are tasting it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. There's a, there's a oh, little bit wow. of bi- the bitterness. There's a little bit of bitterness that mm-hmm. kind of shakes things up. Yeah. I think in the taste versus the smell. Yeah. Yeah. There's this, definitely some bitterness. This cracker, man. I, I, I feel like I'm eating like a water cracker and some brie. Or perhaps a uh, unfrosted wheat thin or mini, mini shredded wheat. What would you call it, Matty? <laughs> oh, frosted mini wheats? Frosted, yeah, an unfrosted mini wheat, perhaps. <laughs> so I asked about if the aromas changed at all because this beer, things like pepper, things like lemon, things like grass, those don't sound very soft and sweet and ripe. You know, the, So those aromas, they don't sound like really ripe fruit or a lot of sweetness. It's not like things like caramel and plum and raisin. Mm-hmm. Those sound sweet. Okay, so the, the what you listed sounds kind of taut, T-A-U-T, taut. And when you taste a beer, then you get a whole other set of information, things like how much sweetness is in the beer, how much bitterness, how much acidity. And so it's possible that when you smell it, you're getting only half the information. When you taste it, um, the fruits become riper. Like you might smell green banana, and all of a sudden, it might once you taste it, it might uh, remind you of brown banana, you know, really ripe banana, something like that. So now that you guys have tasted it, are you getting a lot of sweetness out of this beer? Are you getting a lot of bitterness? Um, I, I would I would lean to bitterness. I mean, there's a mm. level of sweetness, but I, I don't I don't think it's overly sweet. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to lead you. Just I'm I'm trying to lead the witness a little bit in in the wrong direction. Trying it's to trick not us. a sweet beer. You're trying to get us. <laughs> I'm just trying to, to have gotcha a question. With an open mind and, and and assess sweetness and bitterness and, and sourness too. There is a little bit of tartness mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. A good smack of bitterness, particularly for a Belgian beer. A lot of beers are balanced, you know, they they soften their bitterness by having some residual sugar in there. That's sweetness. However, this beer really has very, very little sweetness whatsoever. So a Saison style, most of them are very dry. They're extremely highly attenuated. 
And so that bitterness shows through. And so overall, it seems like a very tight, kind of elegant, lean, racy beer because you got things like lemon, you got grass, you got pepper, you got some bitterness, you got a little bit of sourness. There's nothing that's like fleshy or soft or, or ripe about it. Um, and so in that regard, it's, it's really similar when doing food pairing. It's really similar to champagne. So champagne is one of the most versatile wines for pairing with food. And a lot of that is because it has a lot of acidity. Mm. It has really usually fairly lean, uh, green, unripe fruits. And it also has a little bit of breadiness from yeast. It's the, one of the only wines out there that has a little bit, little bit of crackery, doughy breadiness. Okay. And so that's also present in the Cezanne. Um, so there's a lot of crossover. Oh, and the champagne is obviously highly carbonated. And saisons are highly carbonated. Yeah, I was gonna say I love the mouthfeel of this. I, there's mm-hmm. a, it's, I guess I'd say like it's, it's a lot. Of, I, I mean, this is the very simple caveman version, but it's like a lot of small <laughs> bubbles, like very overwhelmingly bubbly, but in a way that there's like so many bubbles that it feels smooth. If that makes sense, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah, feel like, like there's like a crisp bite to it. It feels like it goes very smoothly, but at the same time, you feel a lot of carbonation. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. Yeah. Caveman or not, that's I mean, it's it's hard to put words to stuff like that because we don't really talk about a lot of that stuff very often. In, in the sommelier world, we talk about um, kind of the, the moosiness of, of the bubbles, you know, very a lot uh, of bubbles and they're they're persistent. You know, they they are in there for a long time. They're typically very small, very finely grained bubbles. And so they collectively sort of create this meringue like this moosiness. I like that. Um, I like moose that adds to the mouthfeel. And so that's another example of the elegance in this beer. So Cezanne's, especially Cezanne Dupont, are known for having a little bit of kind of a rustic earthiness to them. Also, they smell sort of mushroomy. They smell like brie cheese, maybe. I just said um, that. I said, I said brie. I said brie cheese on a cracker. You, you're exactly right. <laughs> I, I wanted to focus on the cracker first, but yeah, you're, you're totally there. Um, I also get green olives out of it. Like, smell this right now. Do you smell like Castelvetrano olives or celery or a little bit of like raw green bean? Mm. Like, there's this like vegetal green briny uh brambly rustic earthy mushroomy thing in there that's just fascinating to me um mm. so yeah this this beer is just all about um elegance and raciness at the top but underneath it all is this like farmy rustic uh uh baseline that i i find just endlessly fascinating about this beer it's tasty it is very tasty i don't know if i said this on the podcast but this is if not one of it might be my favorite beer just to if i just on my like grabbing at home if i just wanted to grab a beer to take to drink awesome awesome well you've chosen wisely um yeah it's a it's an awesome beer i should say i'm feeling like i can drink this with the barbecue too it is a promiscuous beer it likes pretty much all the food (laughs) at the table it doesn't like brownies doesn't like chocolate brownies doesn't like really roasty stuff typically um but as long as there's not a lot of sweetness or a lot of roastiness in the food, it's probably going to go nicely with this beer. Mm. Would you say it's um, the most promiscuous of beers? <laughs> this this is up there. I mean, I don't, I don't really quite know how to measure that. But yeah, this is <laughs> incredibly... What is the sexiest flirt, beer? Flirtatious, friendly beer. It's, Rich, uh, is it's, like, yeah, Rich is like, I, I don't know how to measure that. Um. Yeah, you're regretting <laughs> saying promiscuous now. It's, it's an extrovert. Um, hey, so I do want to say, if you're drinking this out of a green bottle... It might be a little skunky, and I apologize for that. Why breweries still use green glass, I don't know. Um, I think you find it coming from Belgium. You know, it's not uncommon coming from Belgium um, to get, uh, you know, cork and cage finished beers out of green glass. 
it's typical for a lot of wines. They're they're bottled in green glass. Green glass doesn't or wine doesn't have stuff that really uh, goes skunky or gets light struck through green glass the way beer does. Um, so maybe it's a wine tradition thing that has these you know countries like Belgium that are you know a stone's throw from the Champagne region that are still using green glass. But the best way to drink a or to purchase a bottle of beer that's in green glass is um, to kind of find the one that's in the darkest part of the, of the shelf that has had the least amount of light that gets, that it gets exposed to. And then when you keep it at home, keep it dark, you know, keep it in a box or in a bag or something like that. So the light doesn't get in there. Um, so yeah, it's a delicious beer, but unfortunately it does get a little skunky sometimes because of that green glass. Oh, I should I say. Got, I got please. a brown glass. I'm good. Nice. It's also bottle conditioned. So you might have some extra yeast at the bottom of the, of the bottle. Um, that is totally drinkable. It doesn't make the beer look good, but it does make the beer um, during fermentation in the bottle. It makes it taste that much better. And then when you drink the actual yeast that's collected the, at the bottom, it can taste a little mushroomy, a little muddy, a little earthy. Um, it's not the best part of the beer. It's sort of like the mm-hmm. rind on a cheese. You know, you don't you don't eat brie cheese and go straight for the rind. Most of the time you're eating the paste in the middle. So that's that's the way I, I, I describe the the yeast in a, in a bottle conditioned beer. It has an important function, but it doesn't sure. taste fantastic. Real quick, real quick, um, Rich, because when I got this bottle, uh, this is something you should not like store on its side, right? Well, it's actually st- stored on the side of the brewery, and they um, they encourage importers to to keep it on its side uh, during okay. export as well. Okay, that, that's because their yeasts. Um, you might see on your bottle that there might be a stripe of yeast that goes vertically along the side of the bottle. And that is uh, the brewery's attempt at making it so that the yeast doesn't all collect and cake together at the bottom of the bottle, because that encourages on that, the last pour out of the bottle that encourages like a bunch of chunky yeast to come out of the very last pour. And it's not, you know, it might ruin that last, that last couple of ounces. So if they keep the yeast more, evenly dispersed throughout the column of the bottle uh then that you know that's kind of their goal with that that's good to know i guess that's a good thing to know if people you know sometimes people buy a bottle of beer like they're trying to get a good interesting different beer and then there's this weird chunky stuff at the bottom don't be afraid Mm -hmm. yeah don't be afraid it looks like hell but uh it's actually really good for you it's good for your liver it's good for your nails and your hair and your skin loaded with b vitamins um, yeah. But yeah, it just tastes sort of sort of doughy and earthy and mushroomy. Yeah, and I guess I'll relate a lesson, Rich. You taught me that I think helped, like helped you know tweak my mindset towards tasting. Was you said you know when you poured it, usually you won't you won't you usually don't drink the yeast, right? I don't. Yeah, I typically don't. Yeah. So, and I think when you said that though, you you said like you won't you will pour out most of the bottle. You won't pour out that last bit because you'll get the yeast. And what you said mm-hmm. to me, I remember. Was that because when you're drinking a beer, you're tasting you're tasting a beer and you're having a beer. You're not trying to drink a whole bottle. Like it's not about finishing the entirety of it. And that sort of frames well, the experience yeah. more into tasting the beer than mm-hmm. than than I think naturally you want to think like, oh, I bought a full bottle of beer. I should drink all the beer. Mm-hmm. I think it helped orient the my yeah my approach to tasting the beer yeah. a little better towards appreciating the drink itself and the experience of drinking it rather than. I'm going to knock back a bottle, grab another bottle, knock it back, have all the alcohol and all that sort of stuff. I'm not here to discourage anyone from rapid consumption of these delicious beers. I certainly have been guilty of that myself. But um, it's like, you know, if you eat an apple, you don't expect to eat the core, right? You throw away the core or you hopefully compost the core. So the, you know, the yeast is part of like, it's part of the, the structure of the beer and the evolution of the beer and the fermentation of the beer. 
something that you need to consume because it's not the beer itself, you know? Yeah. I choose not to drink it. I know Belgian brewers that like to drink it and mm -hmm. I know Belgian brewers that don't like to drink it. So yeah, I, I try not to drink it myself. Actually, I was at a, um, at a Lambic um, blendery uh, outside of Brussels one time and um, they only serve stuff in bottle because the bottle conditioning is a big part of the flavor of those beers. Um, mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, I, you know, I was there, it was one of the last customers there and they um, had all these bottles with like, you know, an inch worth of yeasty beer at the bottom of them um, from, you know, the full days, you know, service, you know, beer service all day. And so they were, rather than dumping them down the drain, they were pouring them into a bucket like a, you know, a refrigerated, like a Lexan um, or a container that they um, then put a whole bunch of cheese into, uh, bricks of cheese, and then they put it in the refrigerator for a few days and let it age wow. and marinate those cheeses. Oh, wow. Um, they're not really trying to get the yeasty flavor on there so much, but there's still, you know, the yeast, as soon as it gets poured into that thing, the yeast settles at the bottom and there is still some, some good flavorful beer that's in there that soaks into the cheese. So yeah, it was pretty cool. That place is called Dekam Huzestechere, uh, which is oh. <laughs> a mouthful, but uh, D-E, new word, C-A-M. And I don't think they're the only folks around Brussels that do that, but they're the only ones I've noticed. Wow. I'm not so. going to even attempt to repeat that. <laughs> it's a, it's crazy. G-U-E-U-Z-E-S-T-E-K-K-E-R-I-J is how it's spelled. Huzestechere. Wow. That's how they pronounce it. <laughs> and it means uh, goods blendery. Or, uh, you know, aged lambic blendery. Hmm. So yeah, other thoughts on these beers, or should we? I think that's move I on. I think I, I feel up? pretty good. I I recommend people yeah. try if they're not already tasting a saison as a saison dupont as they listen to us. Go try it out for a really good saison. I think this was a great one for today, guys. Yeah. It's, it's this is a delicious beer, just delicious. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's a killer beer. I'm thrilled to be drinking it again, and um, yeah, have it with uh, have it with some food. Yeah. <laughs> you will not be. You'll not be upset. Yeah. Uh, real, hey. real quick, uh, would this would you drink this? What temperature would you would you suggest? Uh, I like this, this. I like this any any colder than sixty five. <laughs> I'm fine with thirty three degrees. I'm fine with forty. Fine with uh, you know fifty. It's going to change, uh, you know, as it warms up a little bit. Um, the colder it is, the the harder it's going to seem. It's going to seem more bitter and uh, a little bit more um, acid. There's going to be less fruit on it. And then the warmer you have it, um, the more you're actually going to get a little bit of sweetness out of it, more of that bready note, um, mm -hmm. sort of that sourdough note, as well as more fruit. Um, yeah, I'm not too picky. I'm I'm I usually can't wait for it, so I just drink it, mm -hmm. <laughs> however it's given to me, whether it's straight out of my fridge or at a restaurant. Um, so before we kind of wrap things up, Rich, on the subject to go back to the pairing, I have three pairings <laughs> for you. Just real quick, oh. rap, rapid fire. I'm going to throw them at you. These are foods that are. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. We're quarantining. We're at home. We're cooking. I got three things that people might be making at home that you might be able to recommend just a beer to pair with them to get the best. To, Maddie, to Maddie, enhance can that I experience. add one at the end of your three? You can have one. All right. Just one. Just one. Okay. Just one. So rich. Is it, is it coleslaw there? Stop it. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, is man. Is that really it? That was it. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a throwback to last week. Cezanne DuPont, Larry. Cezanne DuPont. <laughs> I like to think Larry right now is sitting with a bowl of coleslaw right in front of him. <laughs> I'm at home. I'm making spaghetti. What do I drink with this spaghetti? You mean like spaghetti with red sauce? And meatballs I'm, yeah, and standard. Yeah, the, the, the basic, yes. Spaghetti, spaghetti uh, red sauce. 
My fave with that is uh, Leifman's Heldenbond, which is uh, Belgian style Audbrun is the is the style. O U D B R U I N is the style. And uh, Rich, give us what, give what, something what, else. What's too, something I might have? Just, yeah, just available. I'm quarantined, Rich. I need. Yeah. Oh, you want you want me to be helpful? <laughs> <laughs> I can't Sorry go to that. Belgium right now. <laughs> yeah, shit. Um, I would do. Uh, let's see. I would do any sort of brown ale. I love brown ales cool. um, with uh, with cooked tomatoes. Um, okay. Yeah. Is that is that in with pasta in general? Because I know pasta seems like a popular pasta is enormous. Are you mm-hmm. talking like pho? Or are you talking? You know, All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's what happened in rapid fire, <laughs> Maddie? Rapid what happened fire. In rapid All right, let's go. <laughs> All right, salad. I'm making a salad. I'm making a salad. I got one of those bags from the grocery store of lettuce. I got Hidden Valley Ranch. And I'm throwing some cherry tomatoes. I might have a couple other veggies, but basically that tossed it all together. And some Simple cucumbers. Salad. Some cucumbers. And cucumbers some, are also and some coleslaw. I would do <laughs> Cezanne du Pont. Oh, it's gonna be fantastic. Uh, hazy IPA is gonna work really nicely too. Okay. Um, yeah, rapid fire. There Delish. And then last, um, I'm just grilling some ri- chicken and rice. Grilled chicken. I threw a little bit of seasoning on it. I'm not a good cook. I just threw chicken on the grill, salt and pepper, mm-hmm. and I got a little bit of uh, rice pilaf that I bought in a box. Cool. Uh, Saison Dupont. <laughs> Again, there's a, there's a theme here. Um, a Belgian double could work nicely with that. A Pilsner is going to be fantastic. Stone Chocovesa. Why not? <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you. I'm I'm satisfied. You got it. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Manny. So, oh, so Larry, did you? Have, did yeah. Oh, coleslaw. Coleslaw. <laughs> some slaw. Some slaw. <laughs> uh, well, you know my first answer, Saison Dupont. Uh, you could shake it up and maybe do a. Um, Let's see. You know, why not do a why not do a Doppelbach? Yum. Okay, I, I can dig it. I can. Or, dig no, it. how about how about a Hefeweizen? Perfect. Yeah. Ooh. How about um, uh, Weinstefaner Hefeweizen beer? It's gonna be fantastic. Now, this is a vinegar based coleslaw, or is this a? Uh, <laughs> with, it, this with... is gonna this is gonna work with either of those. Okay. Okay. Neither of those beers is scared of acid. Uh, they're both friends of mayonnaise and cream too. So. Okay. Going. Delicious. Because gotcha. there's no wrong. There's there's no way to mess up coleslaw. I mean, you can mess up coleslaw. I like a creamy coleslaw and I like a vinegar-based coleslaw. <laughs> now people can fuck up a coleslaw, so let me make that clear. You can really fuck it up. Some people make some nasty ass coleslaw. That's aye, it. Aye. <laughs> you know, I I don't I don't have these strong feelings about coleslaw, but I do about potato salad too. Ooh. I prefer the German style potato salad that does not have mayonnaise. As much of a mayonnaise fan as I am, the potato salad that they have, the German stuff, is fantastic. Just, just a little bit of vinegar, some mustard seeds, some uh, you know, some um Chopped onion and potatoes, and mm. you're good to go. They just feature the potato a little more, though. It's all about elevating the potato. Elevate the potato. Mm-hmm. If you can take anything from this podcast, elevate the potato. Yeah, I can't eat everybody's <laughs> potato salad. <laughs> nice. All right. Awesome. I think we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're running I, out I of think we can wrap it up. Wanna, yeah. No, I think we yeah, got wanna, Anyone that's still, uh, that is not falling asleep yet is about to. No, they're having a party. This is um, fun. So, cool. yeah. Hey, so next episode, next mm-hmm. episode, um, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, some craft beer renaissance history uh in california in uh the mid-1970s okay so maddie what's the name of your your favorite brewery here new albion awesome we're talking about yeah, new so albion brewing company it's a very cool story it's a great symbol in a much larger story as well um so yeah we're gonna uh yeah, talk a little bit of modern history. history i think is yeah it's exciting and it's really it's had a tangible impact on us today and the why we drink craft Ooh. beer why we like it, why we have all these yeah. breweries around it's in sonoma yeah that's right it's sonoma <laughs> Ooh. And uh, we're going to be drinking a beer. We're going to taste a beer um, that was very influential to uh, to 
breweries like New Albion that were starting out in uh, in the 1970s, 1980s. And that beer is Fuller's ESB. Okay. Delicious. So and, and, and Rich, what does ESB stand beers. for? Uh, ESB stands for Extra Special Bitter. And mm. we will go into we'll the naming and the history of all that stuff um, in, uh, in some depth. Awesome. It's one of my yeah. favorites. I so, cannot wait. Yeah, so awesome. grab a bottle if you can. Uh, stay safe, of course, obviously. Uh, don't endanger yourself so you can taste along with a podcast. Yeah. Probably not worth it. Um, oh, hey, speaking of podcasts, I have a plug. Um, I actually was honored to be a guest on another podcast out there called Good Beer Matters. You cheated on um, us. I, did, I, did, I was promiscuous, that's all. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's hosted by uh, Jeremy Storton. He's a good guy. He's a certified Cicerone. He knows his beer, and um, he's run a cool podcast. And uh, I'm on episode 49. It just uh, just launched today. So, um, yeah, it's called How to Elevate Your Beer Tasting Ability with uh, with Master Cicerone Rich Higgins. So, awesome. And what's the name um, of the podcast one more time? It's called Good Beer Matters. Good. Um, actually made a, a bit.ly link to it. So it's uh, B-I-T dot L-Y slash, here you go, G-B-M pod 49. Okay, Good Beer Matters. G-B-M P-O-D for pod 49 because it's episode 49. That's all lowercase. So bit.ly slash GBM pod 49. Check it out. Cool. Awesome. And Larry, uh, do you have anything? Hey, look, all I like got to... is if you got some, if you got some preschoolers, new episodes of my wife's show, Helpsters <laughs> drop on Friday, new episodes of Helpsters drops on, on and Larry Apple. work. Okay. There you go. Apple plus. It's an, it's an awesome Apple plus show. Apple plus. Yeah. yeah. Check out Helpsters. An... Rachel's great. Teach, teaches them coding, pre-coding, pre-coding. Uh, Maddie, you got anything to plug? Uh, play Animal Crossing. If you got a Switch, it's worth picking up. Uh, you can you you move to a deserted island. You you build a little house and you you catch bugs and fish and you sell them and you meet a lot of neighbors and it's a very positive time to have if you're looking for something to do at home. Nice. Do you build a dive bar or a upscale? Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, it's a it's an all ages game. We'll need the adult. <laughs> we'll need the adult the adult DLC. At some point, Animal Crossing. Uh, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, yeah, thank this you. Is, this is Liquid Bread. We didn't do any uh, uh, listener questions this week, uh, but if you have any questions or comments, questions for Rich, if you want to try to stump him with anything, I'd love that. Uh, email <laughs> us at liquidbreadpodcast at gmail.com or check out our Twitter at liquidbreadpod. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Maddie. And happy beering. Happy beering. Happy beering. <laughs> Shut up, man.